evergreens in a dream of an island town. Draw a line in the sand and we'll smooth it down. We your side win, get to the middle, count 'em off one at a time, and we'll try to guess right. Waking in the white, sudden lights out. Waiting through the days and nights out. It's so slow, cinnamon summer. Your spell is pulling me under. Rowing in a wooded hollow, showing me the moves to follow. It's a slow, cinnamon summer. Your spell is pulling me under. Oh, it's a hand on the ground that's around for an hour of hope. It disappears as the sea takes it in and swallows it whole. Just as it leaves, just as it's sinking, the morning will save our souls from too cold to keep low. Waking in the white sunlight's out, waiting through the days and nights out. It's so slow, cinnamon summer. Your spell is pulling me under, rowing in a wooded hollow, showing me the moves to follow. It's so slow, cinnamon summer. Your spell is pulling me under. Oh. A story is true. A story is untrue. A story is a work of transformative fiction. As time extends, it matters less and less. Hello, I'm Kendra Spring Classic, and welcome back to Reading Between the Lines, a podcast by fandom nerds for fandom nerds. This podcast is all about fan fiction, the much maligned art form that, nevertheless, brings many people cathartic levels of joy, not just in the reading of it. But in the creation of it as well. If this is your first time listening, welcome. We're so glad to have you. But be sure to go back and listen to our previous episodes. These are evergreen stories, which can be revisited again and again. You're certain to discover something new each time. I know I have. In last month's episode, I spoke with Eva, A.K.A. Blue Trees, about her James and Thomas story, not for oneself. We spoke about loss and mourning, and the very nature of James stripped of Flint. How much of him would cling on for dear life? How much was never Flint at all, but his truer, darker nature crawling up from the depths to take a firmer hold? And we spoke a whole lot about Miranda, whom we both greatly admire. This month, I have a special treat for October. Nothing says autumn quite like cinnamon. There's no pumpkin. But there is some spice, so fair warning to listeners who shy away from that kind of thing. This month, we're earning the E rating we already have. That being said, if you choose to continue on, welcome. You're in for a beautiful story. Tora has crafted the Queen Mother of Hurt Comfort Fix, and when I read it myself for the first time, I fully physically swooned. It's Silver Flint. Did I mention it's Silver Flint? Yeah, we're back in my comfort zone with a fluffy cashmere sweater of a fic, with just enough angst to remind us of the dangerous world in which this story is couched. 
So grab a blanket and a mug of something hot and delicious and snuggle up by the fire for a little dusting of cinnamon. Cinnamon by Torah Summary James gave a pain-filled groan, and John's eyes snapped to him. It was unnerving just how pale the captain was turning, every moment robbing his skin of more of its aggressively pink Caribbean tan. Soon, he was as pale as the sheets under Silver's ass, and the alarming shade of gray visible on his lips stood in stark contrast to the redness of Howell's fingers when he pulled his hands away for a moment. It wasn't difficult to hash out what had happened. It was another day of fighting the good fight, according to their captain, and one of the British soldiers must have fought back, pulling his pistol quicker than Flint had. After a raid gone wrong, Flint needs some help getting him back to health, and John volunteers to be the primary comfort blanket, a.k.a. the one fic that came to be late at night and demanded to be written. Notes. Count Snarkula baited the first half of this fic. Thank you! All remaining mistakes are mine. I do hope you'll enjoy my little foray into hurt comfort for those two. It demanded to be written. He'd been awake and mostly coherent for a month when it happened, and Silver couldn't find enough curses for his tongue to express how he hated that he was an invalid now. Confined to his bed, the windowsill at the back of the captain's cabin, he couldn't really hop topside and check what the commotion was all about. Another raid gone slightly bad, probably. Stewing on his lumpy bedding, he wondered what was going on on the main deck, listening to shouts and orders being flung around. It all lasted a hot minute, before de Groot's voice broke through, barking at the men to tighten the topsails and shift the stays. Silver huffed, mildly pleased with himself that he now at least understood what the man was actually talking about, well aware that sometime during his newfound piratical career he had forgotten to stay detached from it all. Flint's usual intensity hadn't helped, either. Between sulking in his cabin, just a few feet away from John's berth, and slaying magistrates from all over the Caribbean— the captain started to teach him about how ships operated and what to do in a storm. Silver, bored to tears with his sudden and crushing disability, drank up every damn syllable, treating Flint's impromptu lessons like an unexpected lifeline thrown his way. It helped them to while away the time between raids, and if John found himself fascinated with the knowledge he was gaining, he firmly blamed Flint's ability to bamboozle everyone and everything if he so chose. Possessing a similar talent himself— Silver could admire that, at least, even if he couldn't bring himself to openly admire the captain. It wasn't that he found Flint unlikable. Quite the opposite. The captain was too fascinating, too wise, too quick, too bloody handsome for John to admit the attraction even to himself. So he buried it deep within the abyss at the back of his mind, threw it down into a pit like a locked cache of gold, and firmly refused to ever let it surface. That way lay madness, and he strived to keep at least part of his sanity intact, a feat that was getting harder and harder the more days he spent lying prone on the sill, while the rest of the crew raised town after town. Before he could start whining internally at his own miserable state, the cabin doors banged open, 
and in walked Billy and Joji, dragging between them a barely conscious flint. Silver's heart skipped a beat. The court, Billy threw over his shoulder, and behind him a voice responded. The desk. Howl. Shit. I need some space. Get my kit, he directed, swinging maps and papers to the floor, clearing the desk. Silver sat up, wincing when it jarred his leg. All of them ignored him, save for a look of acknowledgement of his continuous presence. Sometimes he felt like a piece of furniture. What happened? he asked, staring at them. Joji and Billy gently deposited the captain on the smooth surface before they walked out, probably collecting what the good doctor demanded. John spared a thought for the ridiculousness of calling their ship's resident butcher good, then shook himself out of his thoughts. A bullet, Howell answered, absent-mindedly, his focus on Flint, on a very pale, very unmoving Flint. John felt his skin crawl, but it only got worse when he noticed the doctor leaning over the captain's stomach, undoing the belts and cutting through the sash he wore with a knife. Once freed, James seemed to gain a bit of consciousness, his head rolling around dazedly, eyes roaming across the room. His gaze landed on Silver, now sitting straight, and he grimaced, a faint whine leaving him when Howell pressed a rag to his abdomen. It was jarring, seeing Flint so helpless, so weak, and for a brief second, John wondered why the fuck they were doing it here, in the cabin, rather than in the sickbay. Ordinarily, all injured men ended up at Howell's doorstep, shouting and cursing their way through whatever torture the good doctor subjected them to, just like Silver had when his leg had been sawed off and thrown overboard. He wondered bitterly sometimes which fish had eaten it for dinner. "'Stay still,' Howell ordered sternly, and it was possibly the only person on this whole rotting tub that could speak like this to their captain and live. Well, the only other person.' seeing as Silver had done his own share of growling and lashing out at Flint, and was still breathing and very much not dead. He had a handy excuse in the form of a missing limb, but still. James gave a pain-filled groan, and John's eyes snapped to him. It was unnerving just how pale the captain was turning, every moment robbing his skin of more of its aggressively pink Caribbean tan. Soon he was as pale as the sheets under Silver's ass, and the alarming shade of gray visible on his lips stood in stark contrast to the redness of Howell's fingers when he pulled his hands away for a moment. It wasn't difficult to hash out what had happened. It was another day of fighting the good fight, according to their captain, and one of the British soldiers must have fought back, pulling his pistol quicker than Flint had. John felt dizzy. How bad? he muttered, then had to repeat the question because it went unnoticed. How bad? The doctor glanced up at him, a frown of concentration etched deeply on his face. "'The bullet is still inside, and I can't see it,' he answered finally, gaze dropping back to the wound. It was oozing blood, but the flow was not as worrying as Flint's state would have him believe. "'Shock,' John thought idly, leaning to the side and grabbing his crutch. He hadn't been cleared for any type of iron boot yet, to the point where when he had expressed his wish to have one— both Flint and Howell had head-butted him into changing his mind for the next fortnight. He couldn't sit in place, though, not with concern gnawing at his insides like a rabid dog, so he stood carefully, balancing his weight on one surprisingly shaking knee. This? Billy strode into the room, handing the doctor a pack wrapped in leather. Joji, hot at his heels with a bowl of water. There was a pile of rags thrown over his shoulder as well. 
and he deposited the whole assembly on the chair next to the desk. Howell took the kit, unfolded it, then took something that looked like a dull knife and a pair of forceps. John swallowed nervously, remembering only too well the moment he had been the one lying on the table, his panicked hands grasping at anything they could to pull himself away. His non-existent leg tingled, the stump burning as if it was on fire. He hobbled across the room, intent on getting out. His mind was screaming at him to walk away, to run, to find a hole and hide and never fucking come out again. It was panic. He knew it now, familiar with the signs after many nights of hurriedly inhaled air and sheets soaked with his own sweat. He had woken Flint up so many times, or alerted him, since the man never seemed to sleep properly anymore, that he had lost count and all care about his embarrassment. There was always something soothing in the steady presence of his captain shaking him awake from another nightmare, in sure hands, handing him a glass of watered-down rum and a damp cloth to clean his face with. John passed the desk, the operating table as it was, then paused a few feet from the door. His head was filled with cotton, his hands shaking. He couldn't stop himself from glancing back when he heard a whimper. Flint's arms flailed by his sides, narrowly missing Billy, who was pinning him down with the bulk of his body. They were all bent over him, their backs to John, all on one side not to block the light from the open window. It was slowly getting dark, Silver noted fuzzily. They would need candles and lanterns. It was probably why they took it to the captain's cabin, too. More room. More light. More chances that he would survive. Flint jerked in their grasp, his mouth falling open just as Howell made a pleased noise somewhere deep in his throat. John wanted to punch him. Wasn't it enough that he... Another whimper. This one more wild, more unchecked. Flint's eyes opened, wide and panicked, and Silver could see how much he struggled against Billy's arms. Without any conscious decision on his part, he turned around and returned to the desk, leaning against it near Flint's head, grabbing the captain's hand when it reached up blindly. Unwittingly, he looked up, just in time to see Howell pull the knife-like instrument from Flint's body. Immediately selecting another one, leaner and longer, he gritted his teeth, glancing down. The captain was watching him, his jaw tight, his eyes heavy. He looked exhausted, but he still kicked out when the doctor brought the forceps to the wound. Hold him! The command was clipped, and John could feel Billy tensing next to him. Flint groaned, struggling, and Silver leaned closer, trying to catch his gaze. Hey! He tried with minimal success. I know it hurts, but Howell needs to take it out, all right? He wasn't sure whether his words registered, but the captain stopped struggling for a moment, and it was enough for the doctor. Quick as a snake, he dove in, catching the bullet and pulling it out. Flint's scream was deafening, but short-lived, and he sagged down like a sail cut off its halyards, falling unconsciously on the desk. For a hot moment, Silver felt panic squeezing his insides. Seeing his captain suddenly so motionless, pale, and shivering was worse than all the nightmares he had endured in the nights following his own downfall. For the life of him, he couldn't exactly tell why. "'Is it going to be all right?' he asked in a choked whisper, barely recognizing his own voice. Howell nodded, cleaning the wound with some of the rags. "'I hope so,' he replied, then went back to his kit. He took out a needle with a thread already attached. "'You know that belly wounds are bad.' He paused, 
sighing, his shoulders falling. Silver bristled, irrationally angry. Their ship's resident butcher had just finished rooting around inside Flint's stomach. What the fuck did he mean, he hoped? There should be a butt here, doctor. Silver growled, his fingers tightening where they were still wrapped around Flint's. The captain didn't even stir. The bullet didn't hit anything important. Howell added finally, his face carefully blank. If he doesn't die of fever, he should be all right. He'd better be. John snarled back. He dies, and you'll join him. He didn't even know what he'd said until Billy's wide eyes settled on him, completely surprised and a little fearful. Silver held his gaze without remorse, staring at him steadily until the bosun relented and turned back to the doctor. Howell, thankfully, didn't say another word, just silently stitched the wound closed. John didn't pay any of them any more attention, focusing on watching Flint's slack face and hoping the man would wake up, even for a moment. Flint didn't open his eyes for the next day, only stirring once another evening rolled in, blinking blearily in the candlelit cabin. They had relocated him to his cot shortly after Howell declared the procedure finished, and Silver took it upon himself to keep watch over their captain. He felt a little shifty himself, not entirely stable on his foot, even with the crutch at his side. So sitting in a chair he had Billy drag over from the desk and watching his captain sleep seemed like a good option. Flint's chair. The irony wasn't lost on him. Had the man been conscious and healthy, Silver wouldn't probably have as much as glanced at the piece of furniture. It belonged to the captain, so only the captain sat in it on a daily basis. And while John was sure Flint would probably allow him the honor of taking his seat, the implication of ousting the captain from his own damn spot sat wrong with him. And yet, here he was, sitting in Flint's chair, by Flint's bedside, watching Flint take one shallow breath after another. The rapid inhales stuttered suddenly and the man's eyes fluttered open, a grimace forming as soon as his consciousness returned fully. Captain? Silver asked softly, leaning forward to see him better. Flint opened his mouth, but nothing but the barest of whispers left it. It was so quiet, John couldn't really understand it, but he could guess by the audible rasp and the heavy swallow that followed that some water wouldn't go amiss. Thankfully, he had some prepared in a cup nearby, mixed with a little bit of rum. Flint eyed the cup suspiciously when it was brought up, but John smiled reassuringly. No laudanum he said, remembering their conversations following his own nightmare. Back when he had still been a feverish mess, when Flint hovered over him unexpectedly like a mother hen, at John's beck and call for some insane reason, they had argued restlessly over him taking the medicine as Howell had ordered. The quarrels had been heated enough to bring Billy running in with all the shouting on one occasion, which had been followed by the doctor himself a few minutes later. John had stubbornly refused to take any laudanum, threatening to walk out of the cabin and jump over the rails. Flint hadn't made any comment about the absurdity of his words, but had instead shooed Howell away. He had sat down and watched Silver for an unnerving minute, after which he had simply asked, Why? John's reply was to direct the same question back at him, throwing it away from himself like a hot potato. And Flint, after a long, thought-filled moment, admitted that he wouldn't want to take any either, not if he had anything to say about it. What had Flint's reasons been, Silver couldn't begin to comprehend, knowing well that out of the two of them, he had been the one with secrets packed into every pocket of his being, but he filed the information away for later. It had come in handy now. 
and John felt strangely light when his captain drank a few sips from the cup with Silver's hand keeping his head up. Easy, John murmured, pulling the cup away and laying Flint's head on the pillow again. The captain just blinked up at him, barely conscious, looking for all the world like a gigantic cat. Silver supposed he was, in a way, dangerous and intimidating, always doing whatever he wanted and however he wanted. Or maybe a dragon hoarding gold and other riches, breathing fire at any fool stupid enough to try and take it away from him. It would certainly explain Silver's interest in the man. He had always liked fairy tales, and his favorites were the ones his sister had told him. He had been just a boy then, before their parents died and they were pushed into an orphanage to fend for themselves. He had fallen asleep to the gentle cadence of her voice, murmuring stories about knights and princesses, about dragons eating sheep and wolves turning into people in the light of the day. John, Flint's voice tore him out of his musings, and he jerked his head up, staring at the man. The captain was watching him calmly, too calmly, and for a moment Silver wondered whether the surgery had been too much of a shock to his body, whether Howell had screwed something up and left him with a wound worse than the initial shot had been. He wouldn't put it past the man, certainly. Belatedly, Silver was reminded about a story of a ship he had once heard, as terrifying as it was astonishing. There had been a ship that sailed all the way to New Holland, but its voyage had been interrupted by a powerful storm. The accounts varied on how much damage the hull took, but the mainmast of the vessel had been broken at the deck level, resulting in a completely inoperational ship. The resident carpenter had proposed a risky plan that the desperate crew had jumped on and clutched to in their madness, and they had repaired the mast by the means of steel rigs and iron nails driven deep into the wood. It had allowed the men to set the mast vertically again, but there had been a catch. The steel bands and nails had been red-hot to allow them to shrink once they had cooled down binding the wood tightly together. The mast had held out all the way to New Holland, and a day later, while docked safely in the bay, the fire burning within the mast had finally chewed through the wood, setting the whole ship on fire and killing the skeleton crew keeping watch. Slightly hysterically, Silver wondered whether Flint was like that mast, burning from within and waiting for the fire to consume him. He leaned closer and placed his hand on Flint's forehead with slight trepidation. Slightly warm. John counted his blessings, fighting off the urge to knock on the wooden hull of the ship. You gave us all a scare, he said instead, hoping his voice wasn't too shaky. It wouldn't do to be shaky in front of Flint. Not now. They had lived through countless moments of pain. Flint waking up from his nightmares, Silver struggling with his own. But when his captain was incapacitated and barely alive on the cot, more fit to command a battalion of corpses on the other side of existence. John refused to be weak. There was something at the back of his head, something whispering to him. And try as he might, he couldn't ignore the warning. He needs you. The captain, in the meantime, just shifted his gaze to the side, looking around the cabin as if he was cataloging any possible changes. If it hadn't been for his eyes being all glassy and unfocused, Silver would believe he had noticed the disruption in his books, the slight misalignment of tomes where John had rifled through them the previous evening, looking for something to occupy his hands and thoughts. He hadn't been able to bring himself to leave his captain's side any more than he was now, even though he knew he should probably tell Howell that the man had awoken. Soon, he told himself sternly, he'll go to Howell soon. But he didn't, 
because Flint's eyes fluttered closed once more, and his breathing evened out. And so John sat where he was, half leaning over the cot, his fingers inched closer to the captain's hand, wrapping around the wrist tentatively. John told himself it was to check whether he was developing a fever. His conscience screamed at him, and for the life of him, he couldn't fathom why it had finally returned to him after so many years of his unsavory lifestyle. Falling asleep was such a curious thing. One moment he was staring at Flint's prone form, next he was being jerked awake by a faint moan, inhaling a mouthful of his own hair where it had tumbled forward over his shoulder. He sat up straight, wincing when his muscles protested the sudden change of position before he took stock of the situation. The night had already fallen, and barring one lamp hanging near the cot that he vaguely remembered lighting before he had drifted off, nothing else illuminated the space. For a brief moment, he was sure it was just a bizarre dream, conjured up by his imagination to torture him until he either woke up or was woken up by a very underslept captain. His leg tingled when he squeezed the stiffened muscles there out of a newfound habit, and he glanced at it in surprise. Despite his dreams usually being a violent recollection of what had happened, he had never dreamed about feeling pain. Sure, he was usually scared shitless in them, trying to fight howl tooth and nail, but usually snapped his eyes open right when the blade dug into his flesh. The twinge that went through his whole thigh and dispersed somewhere at the small of his back was different, an anomaly that made him look up at Flint. The captain was definitely not fine, and the sole notion of it chilled Silver to the bone. The man was muttering something under his breath, his face red and covered in sweat, and John could tell he was running a temperature from his own fingers still wrapped around Flint's wrist. Captain? He tried but all he got in response was a violent toss of Flint's head from one side to the other. His brow furrowed and eyes squeezed shut. Fuck. Moving quickly while on one leg, and after a few hours of sleep in a frankly twisted position, was out of the question. But Silver was confident in his men's ability to follow his orders. He had made a few adjustments to the schedule of watches, and, despite the late hour, there was bound to be someone on the deck he could use— he grabbed his crutch from where it had slid to the floor, then stood up, making his way stiffly, painfully, to the door. He threw it open with more force than strictly necessary, and had to take a wobbly step back to avoid falling down. The ship was swaying dangerously, a storm brewing on the horizon. John spared a quick prayer that they might avoid it, then turned to the helm. As expected, Billy was there, keeping watch over their newest helmsman his eyes narrowing in the faint glow of the few deck lights that were lit. Silva, he asked, coming closer, leaving the lad to fend for himself. John shook his head. Get Howell, and he turned around, hobbling back to the cabin. His hips were screaming at him, his muscles pulled tight, but he refused to budge. He hopped around, lit the remaining lamps with shaky fingers, and hoped their additional glow wouldn't be needed. Glancing at Flint's pained face, he knew he was wrong. He shook his head and waited for the doctor to come. What happened? Howell marched in not three minutes later, his clothes rumpled and his hair escaping its usual updo. Silver stared at him, fighting a knee-jerk reaction to his presence that usually resulted in him probing and poking at his healing leg. The doctor looked unthreatening in his freshly awoken state. Silver's non-existent toes twitched. He's feverish, 
he forced himself to explain, nodding at Flint, infinitely grateful when Howell didn't ask anything further, and just leaned over their captain, checking the temperature himself. The grimace on his face told John all he needed to know about the heat consuming Flint's body. He wished he could have remained ignorant. Even more so when Howell untucked Flint's loose shirt and carefully peeled off the dressing on his abdomen, revealing the wound. It looked far too red and puffy, and Silver didn't need to be a doctor to see that, even in the low light. I need to get my kit, the doctor muttered, excusing himself, leaving John strangely rooted to the spot. He stared at the shivering body of his captain, his eyes darting to the wound every now and then, barely able to stand its sight. It wasn't even that it was inflamed and looked way worse than the day before. The sole idea of Flint, a legend more than a man, was lying on his cot, vulnerable like a newborn kitten, slowly dying of fever. During his years spent running away from authorities in one form or another, during poverty and pain, during the very few years he'd been on ships, Silver had never seen a more godlike creature. Flint was not unlike an ancient deity, a man who commanded his reality, all of their realities, with a few words and sheer determination. With his rage, he could make whole towns collapse to the ground, and with a bit of good will and a clever strategy, he could build them up again, stronger and bigger, more suited for his purpose. And here he was, barely conscious, muttering nonsense because the fire burning in him was enough to rob him of his wits. James Flint was mortal, and there was nothing in this world that filled John with more irrational fear. "'I need some help,' Hal returned, carrying the leather-wrapped instruments in a small bowl. He had a couple of rags thrown over his shoulder, mercifully clean, and Silver felt a very visceral squeeze somewhere low in his own gut. "'What should I do?' he asked through gritted teeth, pushing down the urge to get the fuck away from there. Flint was in pain. Flint needed him. "'Come here,' Howell beckoned him over, then pointed to a spot near Flint's chest. "'Sit down on the edge. Grab his hands. He's not gonna like it, but I think the wound is festering, and I need to cut the stitches and clean it out.' Now, John really hated the sound of that, and as he debated whether he was brave enough to be called a coward for the rest of his damn life for walking out of there— the doctor made an impatient sound. "'Mr. Silver, not to be rude,' he started, giving him an imploring look. "'But you either come here and help, or go outside and find someone who will.' There was a flare of anger right under John's ribcage, his thoughts coming to a halt. He opened his mouth, ready to growl his answer back menacingly, to threaten the doctor with some choice words about respecting their quartermaster, since the men had seen it fit to crown him recently. But in that moment— Flint's eyes fluttered open, blinking at the ceiling beams above him. Silver promptly forgot why he was so angry a moment before. Captain? He started, hopping closer, sitting right at the Howell-appointed seat. Flint's gaze turned to him, his eyebrows coming together. John. His voice was even more raspy than before, the delicate skin around his eyes reddened. Silver knew it was the fever. It didn't make it any better. How do you feel? he asked softly. He sensed movement behind him, and he knew Howell was preparing his tools. Cold. Flint swallowed heavily. Hurts. I know. John reached out, placing one hand gingerly on the captain's chest. He was way too warm through the shirt, his heart beating rapidly under Silver's fingers. 
Howell's here to make it better. The explanation resulted only in Flint's confused gaze, slipping from him to the doctor, then back. I need to clean the wound, Howell added, probably for clarity. Silver still wanted to knock his teeth down his throat. He took a deep breath. Flint was watching him calmly, the frown still present. And for some strange reason, John felt his cheeks burning. A moment passed before the captain opened his mouth again. You should go, he whispered. Make sure Jackson doesn't sink my ship. The words were laborious and too quiet to hear properly, but they still stunned Silver. He gaped at the man, uncomprehending, before something occurred to him. Flint was giving him an out. The idea was so ludicrous he almost laughed and stopped himself only because he was sure his voice would be more hysterical than Mary. He blinked at his captain, who was by now watching whatever Howell was doing behind Silver's back. John was very tempted to take his offer, to proclaim that he would keep an eye on the walrus and excuse himself. The prospect of sitting through whatever the doctor had in store was infinitely more horrifying than running away, and Silver almost grabbed his crutch again. He didn't only because he glimpsed the pure terror flashing in his captain's eyes. It was there and gone, a blink-it-and-you'll-miss-it occurrence, but the naked fear of it lingered even behind the mask Flint usually wore. Silver glanced over his shoulder, noticing Howell with a small blade in his hand. He had to cut the stitches, John's brain reasoned. He turned back to Flint. Billy's keeping an eye on Jackson, he said soothingly. He won't run us aground in the middle of the sea. John, I'm staying. He looked right at the captain, unrelenting, until his stare finally made Flint close his eyes with a quiet huff. John turned to Howell. What do I do? Hold his hands, the doctor replied, grabbing a couple of rags he had brought with him. Through unease growing bigger in his stomach, he somehow understood that he wasn't meant to just grasp Flint's fingers like a maiden's on a stroll in a park. Bracing himself over Flint's chest, he grasped the captain's wrists, bringing them between their bodies for better leverage. He pressed down, leaning lower, keeping the captain immobile. While Howell started to dig into the wound, Flint didn't react as violently as he had the previous time. He tensed all over, twitching every now and then, but he didn't try to kick out or twist away. He seemed more present, more aware, even if he was still weak from the fever and his hand struggled slightly in Silver's grip. He bit his lip and kept on biting it, until the pain must have been too much, and he whined brokenly, lifting his head and hiding his face in John's neck. Every hot exhale laced with a weak moan made all the hairs on John's body stand on end, and he gritted his own teeth just as much as his captain did. He wasn't really aware of how much time had passed, but finally Flint relaxed, sagging back to the bed, blinking up at John dazedly. Silver looked to Howell questioningly, but the man shook his head. Not done, he muttered, then looked around the cabin. John had no idea what he was searching for with his gaze, but his eyes widened when he found it finally. He wandered over to Flint's desk and retrieved a plate with a piece of bread that must have been sitting there for the better part of the last three days. Silver remembered the whole dish clattering to the ground when they had made the cabin an operating theater. He also remembered picking it up later and giving it a sniff, before declaring it too moldy to be eaten. And indeed, moldy it was, rotting blue and green on one side, the other dry and unappetizing. Howell brought it over, took a knife, 
then carefully scraped off some of the mold, catching it with one of the clean rags. He glanced up after a moment, reaching out and swiping some of the cobwebs lingering near the chain suspending Flint's cot from the ceiling. He added it to the mold and carefully dripped a little water into the mixture. Thus prepared, he placed the whole assembly on the wound, covering it with another piece of cloth. "'Make sure he doesn't move,' he ordered, and Silver just stared at him. "'What?' "'What?' he parroted. "'Rotting bread and spiderwebs? What are you, a damn witch-doctor?' He was getting angry again, his blood heating up. He had never let go of Flint's hands, and he could feel them shift in his grasp. He ignored it, glaring at the doctor. "'You'd be surprised what can be found in folktales,' Hal replied, collecting his kit and picking up the rags he had used earlier. They were dirty, smeared with something yellowish that looked concerningly like pus, and John swallowed heavily seeing them, bile rising up to his throat. "'John!' the captain whispered again, his fingers squeezing Silver's hand. So he turned back, leaving Hal be. The doctor left, warning John to call him if something started to look worse. "'I'm here,' he answered, gently untangling Flint's fingers from around his hands and twisting his palms slightly, just so he could lace them together more comfortably. He wasn't sure why he had done that, but it seemed to settle the captain a little, his eyes falling shut. He was still trembling, though, and belatedly, John realized Howell hadn't covered him back up. Cursing internally, he remedied the situation at once, pulling the blanket back over Flint's body, tucking it around his chest tightly. There was a little sigh that sounded like gratitude before the captain drifted off. Fresh water was scarce out in the open sea, but the ship's doctor had special privileges, as did the captain, a fact Silver was more than glad for on the third night. Flint's half-comatose state meant that while his body wasn't working as well as usual, it still worked, and a change of clothes and sheets was needed, or in Flint's case, blankets, because that was what he used to soften the unforgiving wood of the cot. With Howell's help, they managed to roll him gently from side to side, changing the bedding swiftly, then disrobed him and bathed him with damp rags. The water was cool, but it was a whole fresh bucket, so it was already better than nothing. Short of giving him a full bath, it was the best they could do, especially with the still angry-looking wound on the captain's abdomen. Howell had assured him it would be beneficial. Silver just tried not to blush too violently when his captain's body became uncovered. He could still remember well his own mortification at needing help with the easiest and most mundane of tasks. And while he felt like paying Flint back for his own unexpected kindness— the sight laid out before him, still stirred fire low in his gut. Even mostly unconscious, Flint was a handsome man, and his powerful body, forged from hard muscles and tight sinew, was very pleasing to the eye. John had to rein himself in more times than he could count while helping Howell, and it was only the sensation of unease tickling the back of his throat that allowed him to get through it without embarrassing himself. Flint was hurt, Flint needed help fighting for his life. It brought him up short, and he focused back on what the doctor was saying. The fever, which had persisted and gotten worse progressively, should lessen slightly after cooling Flint's whole body. After a couple of minutes, it turned out that he had been partially right. Flint's temperature did drop once they were done cleaning him up, but it was still too high to be considered normal. Thankfully, 
After a few questions from Silver, Howell agreed that it had gotten low enough to cover Flint with blankets again. So John didn't waste any time in piling them on top of his unconscious, shivering captain. After the doctor excused himself, John sat at the edge of the cot, ignoring the captain's chair still residing nearby. He would end up sleeping in it anyway, just like he had in the past two days. So what was the point of settling himself in it already? Instead, he watched Flint toss and turn his head, his eyes squeezed shut and his brow furrowed. He looked unsettled, either by pain or fever, and John wished there was something he could do. He vaguely remembered the first days after his own amputation, the never-ending nightmare broken by his captain's gentle voice. Flint had read books to him, plays and tales, poems and epic stories. The only recollection he had from the first week of his recuperation was Flint muttering to him, the steady cadence of his voice a soothing backdrop to the constant debilitating pain tearing through him. Every time he had awoken, the captain would feed him some watered-down rum, then keep on soothing him gently until he drifted off again. They had never spoken about it after, neither of them eager to bring it up. But Silver remembered, and he wished there was something he could do to help Flint now. It was bizarre, the need to make him healthy, to bring him back from the brink. He was only a man, and not a particularly nice one at that. John knew it. He had seen him bludgeon a man to death on the first day of their acquaintance, for fuck's sake. But here, now, the almost godlike creature twisting and turning restlessly on the cot was so far removed from his usual power, Silver felt like weeping. What was he himself good for if a man with powers akin to a sea deity couldn't resolve this situation? John, the captain murmured quietly, and Silver startled, glancing down quickly. Flint's eyes opened a crack, his head tilted back where he was resting half on his side. Captain, John nodded, leaning in. How do you feel? Cold. And he was, Silver realized, covered in three blankets, in a shirt and a pair of drawers. He was still shaking like a leaf, his teeth chattering slightly. Finding a bed warmer was out of the question on a pirate ship, not only because nobody had ever needed one here, but also because the potential fire hazard would be enough to chuck the thing and its owner overboard the second one was discovered. Frowning, John tried to come up with a solution, his mind running over the mental list of supplies they had, and he was about to get up to go to find Howell when Flint moved again. He shifted, rolling across the few inches of space separating him from Silver, then wrapped his own blanket-clad body around Silver's hips and the thigh he had hitched up on the cot for balance. Stunned, John gaped at him for a moment, before he realized that his own body was probably pleasantly warm in comparison to the air around them, especially with the storm still lingering at the horizon. The way Flint curled up around his form was worrying, Silver thought, remembering the freshly bandaged wound that still refused to heal. He bit his lip worriedly, staring down at his captain, who appeared to be drifting off again, when an idea struck him. Moving slowly, Shushing any protests, Flint murmured incoherently. He gently rolled the man away and further back on the cot. There was a small, displeased groan trickling from Flint's lips, and John had to grit his own teeth to stop himself from panicking. He knew what he had in mind would be much better, 
but the little miserable sound squeezed at something inside him and refused to let go. "'Shh!' he soothed, then tugged off his own coat and the one remaining boot. Flint's eyes blinked open at him in confusion, his mouth working soundlessly. Silver smiled then, after he'd made sure his crutch was within an easy reach. He stretched out on the cot next to him, slipping under the blankets. Immediately, the captain shuffled closer, plastering himself against John's side, seeking warmth like a kitten pulled out of a ditch. Silver wondered what he would do if there was an emergency, if he had to get up and get a howl, or if they were attacked by someone on their way to Nassau. But the captain sighed softly, his body growing heavy against John's chest. And that... Well, that was more satisfying than anything Silver could remember in a long time. He wrapped one arm around Flint's shoulders, made sure the covers were tucked tightly around him with the other, then let his own eyes slip shut. He drifted off before he knew it, Flint's shallow breathing lulling him to sleep more than the ship swaying ever could. It was a certain kind of irony that the first night he had slept through, without any memories jarring him awake in a cold sweat, was the one with Flint at his side. Silver blinked his eyes open to the early morning light. His body rested for the first time in a whole damn month, his head less fuzzy than it had been for the past couple of days. He glanced to the side, intent on checking the captain's state, but was met only with bristly short hair peeking from between heavy folds of the blanket. Flint's hand was heavy on his chest, his knee pushed up under John's bad leg, and it had been the most comfortable he'd felt since Howell had maimed him. He thought briefly of getting up, maybe going down to the galley for some food. They had a young lad manning the pots and pans for the time being, but he was far too cozy where he was right now, with Flint's weight nestled against him, almost hugging him close. He decided to watch his captain instead, prompted by a little huff and a small shift that made Flint's head roll back on the pillow, allowing Silver the full view of his features. Pain was still visible in every hardened line of his face, but at least... He stopped clenching his jaw so tightly Silver worried about his teeth. He looked a little more peaceful now, even if his brows were furrowed and his lips twitchy. The change in position allowed for a soft snore here and there, and John would have even called it adorable if it hadn't been the fear of the Caribbean he was talking about. Somehow that delicate side of his captain had never presented itself up until the Charlestown Massacre, until he had taken care of Silver. And now it was here on full display, easy to see and touch, if he so wished. Fascinated, he brought his hand up slowly, then ran careful fingers across Flint's cheek, dragging them lightly over the thin skin. Flint was still flushed, feverish, but, thankfully, no longer raving and incoherent, and Silver felt something unknot inside him. He had never even considered caring so much for this fearsome man. And yet... Flint sniffled, scrunching up his nose, then blinked his eyes open. His gaze was disoriented for long enough that John was able to retrieve his hand and place it back on his own chest, dangerously close to Flint's own fingers. The captain frowned harder, staring at him, and his momentary confusion made Silver smile slightly. Morning, he greeted. His voice was so quiet it was technically a whisper. Flint opened his mouth then closed it again, swallowing thickly. He looked exhausted, even after a full night's sleep, 
and John hoped he would sleep some more to help his body heal. The man cleared his throat, however, and the rasp reminded John about the pitcher of water standing on the desk. Carefully, slowly, he extricated himself from Flint's embrace, gritting his own teeth against the pain in his leg. It was a constant hum in the background of his mind, irritating at best and debilitating at worst, and he hated its presence on such a calm, peaceful morning. He grabbed his crutch and hopped around awkwardly, moving to the desk and pouring a mug first for himself, then for Flint. He brought it over, miraculously avoiding spilling it, then fed it to the captain. It required him to sit on the edge of the cot, one hand busy propping up Flint's head while the other tipped the mug, but it was worth the awkward balancing to see the man smile gratefully at him when he was done. John didn't bother getting the mug back to the desk, placing it on the floor instead. He focused on his captain, taking in the swimming green eyes under heavy lids. He looked about ready to fall back asleep, but something held him back, clearly. With a start, Silver realized that Flint hadn't made himself comfortable on the cot, leaving the spot Silver had previously occupied empty. The invitation was so stark, John blinked at him for a moment, debating whether it would be a good idea to get back into Flint's bed. When his captain had been incoherent with fever and shaking like a leaf in a squall, it had been pure instinct to help him in any way he could. Now, while by no means healthy, the man was marginally less frantic and no longer trembling enough to rattle himself to pieces, so the request seemed redundant. Silver glanced at Flint's face, though, and took in the slight twitch of his mustache, the oncoming grimace of pain. He thought back to how relaxed his captain seemed when they had been cuddled up together, how Flint's breathing had been steady, even if still shallow and too fast. Without any further conscious thought on his part, he propped the crutch against the wall and slipped back into his previous spot. Something warm bloomed in his chest when the captain shuffled closer immediately, groaning through gritted teeth as the movement inevitably jarred his wound. Shh, easy. John murmured, one hand wrapping securely around Flint's shoulders, who hummed, hiding his face in the crook of Silver's shoulder. A few labored breaths later, he relaxed slightly, his body losing the sudden rigidity. Unbidden, Silver's fingers traced a nonsensical pattern over the shirt he was wearing, feeling the shivering picking up again. He sighed, tucking the blankets more tightly around Flint, then tried not to think too hard as he hugged him close. The peace lasted four bells, during which the captain barely stirred, until he woke up properly right after the change of the watch. He was more present then, his eyes no longer glazed over, and he looked at Silver curiously from where he was still resting mostly against him. "'How are you feeling?' John asked, squishing down the urge to reach out and run his fingers down the side of Flint's face. They were already touching in too many places— making Silver tingly all over. It's dangerous, he told himself. It's what you want, his mind whispered. But he bit his tongue sharply. The captain sighed, frowning again, but it looked more like the pondering expression Silver was used to seeing on him during some serious scheming, rather than the persistent manifestation of pain. It hurts, but, Flint finally said, trailing off as if uncertain. But, Less. It was almost as if he was surprised at the admission, 
as if he had never expected the pain to go away. John could understand that. After Howell had taken off half of his leg, the sea of pain he had fallen into had seemed to be endless, until it somehow dispersed one day. His leg still hurt, but not enough to cloud his senses anymore, a fact he was eternally grateful for. "'Think you could eat something?' he asked, not keen on bringing his own maladies to the forefront of his mind. Flint looked torn at the question, and John let him be, knowing that his captain, of all people, would not beat around the bush and ask for whatever he wanted. The man fell quiet for so long that if Silver hadn't seen his eyes still open and staring somewhere into the distance, he would have thought him asleep again. As it was, Flint seemed to ponder something deeply before he opened his mouth again. "'Did you sleep here?' he whispered, sounding even more confused. John shrugged. "'You were cold. I believe you asked me to stay.' "'Not exactly,' Silver thought. "'Not with words, anyway.' The captain was quiet for the longest moment before. "'Thank you,' he murmured, before making himself comfortable against John's chest again. That warm feeling was back, crashing through him like a stormy wave. "'You're welcome,' he choked out, then cleared his throat. <clears> "'You gave us all a scare,' he said, just to change the topic. It wasn't that he had ventured out a lot in the last couple of days— in fact, he had barely left the cabin, and only to get the doctor or to request more water to be brought in. He definitely hadn't talked to any of the crew, not beyond a brief exchange of words and a brisk summary of Flint's state given to the chosen few. Beyond that, he was mostly content to keep vigil over the captain's state, rifle through his books, or rest at his side and keep him warm. Flint didn't need to know about any of this, however. They stayed in companionable silence for a few minutes, and with a thrill, John realized that the man's weight no longer pressed bonelessly against him. Flint's muscles were working again, holding his weight and keeping him from crushing Silver's body mindlessly to the cot. In a way, he mourned it, too. Before he could think of a topic to talk about, something to take his mind off their close proximity, there was a knock on the door, and Howell's voice could be heard from behind. The doctor came to change the bandages, probably— and take a look at the wound to make sure it started to heal and wasn't festering further. John dreaded the involuntary fear his own body would plunge into at the sight of the man, but it was reduced to a mere afterthought when he felt all of Flint's muscles tense against him, going as rigid as a plank. He frowned, glancing down, only to see the captain's eyes squeezed tightly shut and his mouth forming a desperate, thin line. A moment, he barked at the door then turned carefully, inevitably dislodging Flint's head from his shoulder. The captain curled up further on the pillows, and Silver was sure it was a completely unconscious attempt to hide. He had never known the man to show any signs of fear, even if he had to have felt it sometimes. So seeing the display now jarred him more than a punch to the face ever could. Hey, he started, not really sure what to do. He could understand Flint's involuntary reaction, well aware of the pain he had been through at the hands of the good doctor. No matter how quick and careful Howell tried to be with his patients, it usually ended with them hurting and resenting him for it to some degree. Hell, John himself hated the man a little, and feared him in equal measures, not that he would ever admit that to another soul. 
Flint, though. He's just going to check the wound, yeah? He tried, making the captain's eyes flutter open. I'm going to be here, all right? I'm not going anywhere, he added, reaching out and placing his palm tentatively on Flint's face. It was a gamble, something he could as well come to regret later, when the man was fully recovered, and resenting him for thinking him weak, for seeing the weakness and bringing their attention to it. Flint, however, only nodded slightly, and didn't protest when John got up and grabbed his crutch, then went to open the door. Howell was waiting patiently for him, his expression blank. If he had heard anything, Silver was sure he wouldn't have mentioned it. If there was one thing he could appreciate about him, it was his secrecy. John supposed it came with the job. He let him in and hobbled after, seating himself in the chair pushed up against the cot, his hand migrating to Flint's the moment he was sitting down. Nobody commented, but the little grateful glance the captain sent him melted Silver's insides. He didn't think he was worthy of such a look of gratitude. He was a thief and a liar, and keeping his captain from killing himself had somehow become one of his quartermasterly duties, against all odds. It still made his heart beat against his chest like a caged bird. He focused on Flint, squeezing his fingers assuredly, feeling the man jerk and twitch when Howell prodded around the wound. John still wanted to knock his teeth in at every pleased sound escaping him, but in the end, he decided it wouldn't do. Not when the doctor announced that the wound had started to heal at last. Hearing the unspoken fact of no more procedures, Flint's whole body sagged against the bedding in relief, his eyes falling shut, a small, barely audible sigh leaving him. Silver doubted he even heard the rest of the talk that followed, so he listened carefully in his stead, making mental notes on how to care for the wound if he wished to do it himself. John found out quickly that he very much did, which was a little odd. He could barely bring himself to clean his own stump on a good day. There was something about taking care of Flint, however, that made him sit up and pay attention. Half an hour later, he was hopping his way down to the galley, grabbing a few bites himself, before he took a bowl of stew and brought it back awkwardly to the captain's cabin. The lad cooking now, a young man named Theo, had proposed to bring it up for him, but John had declined the offer with politeness he hadn't really felt. There was something strangely possessive taking root inside him, and the idea of anyone else seeing Flint in his weakened state made him uncharacteristically bristly. Maybe it was his own mother henning over their captain, or maybe he remembered all too vividly how Flint had kept watch over him, telling the men to fuck off and give him space to recover. Silver had been very grateful to have his own guard back then, not keen on having his men see him in that barely awake ruined state. He told himself it was just repaying the favor when he had to place the bowl on the floor before he could double back to close the door to the cabin. He ignored the little flare in his abdomen at seeing the captain sleeping peacefully with his shirt twisted about him, revealing a strip of his freckled chest. Shaking his head at his own thoughts, Silver went over to the chair and settled in for another day of keeping watch. In the evening, Flint declined any food, but was all right with drinking watered-down rum. He was mostly awake, still in more pain than Silver's sanity could take, and made little whimpering noises when Silver helped him to take a piss. The whole affair was more trouble than it was worth, in John's opinion, especially seeing as he had gotten pretty good at changing the bedding and sponge-bathing him without Hal's assistance. 
Still, the captain had insisted, so Silver held him awkwardly with one arm hooked around his chest, making sure he wouldn't topple over as he used the chamber pot. Later, they talked a bit about books and the writers of old, until Flint's eyes became heavy and his words started to slur together. It was a mindless effort to stretch himself next to him and keep him close, so Silver got another peaceful night of sleep. The routine continued for a week, during which the fever disappeared and some healthy color returned to the captain's cheeks. He started eating on a regular basis, and his mood improved significantly. On day ten, he asked, demanded, to bathe, then to be taken to the main deck, because he was sick of staying inside. Silver argued and reasoned, but to no avail. At ten in the morning, shocking the whole crew working on replacing some damaged rigging, Flint took a few tentative steps out of his cabin, supported by Silver's arm, wrapped firmly around his chest. He was dressed in a pair of breeches and a long shirt, and he was still pale enough to be mistaken for a ghost. But he was there, alive and breathing, and John's smile couldn't be wider when he noticed the amazed look in the men's eyes. It wasn't often that a man survived a belly wound, and it was even rarer that they recovered with such speed. The round of cheers directed at them was entirely deserved. Their little trip topside earned them something else, too. A stern verbal thrashing from Howell, who was rather displeased when he visited the captain's cabin later. Silver didn't particularly care, long removed from the doctor's threats. Flynn seemed unbothered, too, almost feigning sleep in a clear dismissal of the man. Howell fumed a little, then strode out, nearly throwing his hands up in exasperation. As soon as the door was closed behind him, the captain grinned, his eyes still closed, and Silver couldn't stop his laughter at the antics. It seemed they were on the same page when it came to Howell. They made port in Nassau two days later. It was a stormy day, with the wind blowing across the deck and rattling their sails even as they reefed them to come into the bay. Silver kept an eye on the proceedings, out on the main deck for a couple of hours, the first time he had been away from the captain for so long since he had been shot. Flint was still recuperating in his cabin, and, between him, Silver, and Howell, they had decided that while his state was improving, he shouldn't be coming ashore. The men didn't care one bit. They had been promised a week off, and spending it whoring and drinking, without their captain's presence looming at their camp on the beach, would be even better. The doctor had expressed his concerns about leaving Flint alone, with only a skeleton crew on watch to ensure the ship's safety and Silver had put his mind at ease quickly enough that he had been surprised at his own vehemence. He would be staying as well, and would take care of Flint's wound. After the crew disembarked, carrying their tents into overcrowded launches, the ship fell quiet. The few men still present didn't have much to do, so they occupied themselves with playing cards and drinking rum, and Silver let them be. He directed his steps back to the captain's quarters, intent on catching some shut-eye, seeing as the unloading of the loot had taken them well into the evening. The warm glow of a few candles greeted him when he entered, Flint's gaze flickering up to him from above a book he was reading. The title was in Spanish, so John didn't bother to read the cursive. Instead, he hopped over to the desk, eyeing the meal that had been left there. Theo had thrown a bit of everything onto a large plate, stacking cheese and salted pork neatly on one half a few slices of bread and pieces of vegetables on the other. The meal looked untouched, and he realized that, while able to move around slowly now, 
Flint must have waited for him to come and eat it together. That warm feeling was back suddenly, spreading low in his gut, and Silver did his best to ignore it. Maybe the captain simply hadn't felt like moving today. He was still weak after all, with days of fever behind him, sapped of all his energy and sleeping as much as he was awake. With a sigh, Silver grabbed the plate and brought it to the cot. He had gotten pretty good at balancing his weight with one arm and carrying things with the other. He still wished he hadn't had the reason to learn this skill, but it was there, and he was slightly grateful. Flint closed the book carefully when he approached, placing it in his lap for the time being. He would have put it on the little shelf right above the cot, but he still had a hard time stretching any of his extremities without pulling on his healing wound. John had learned sometime this week that he didn't really mind doing it for him, however, so he sat on the edge of the cot, got the book in its rightful place, then put the plate on the bedding next to the captain. Flint struggled upright, sitting with his back against the pillows, stacked between him and one of the chains suspending the cot from the ceiling. His eyes were green, and his face was free of any signs of pain, finally, and John had a hard time keeping his blood from rushing. Here he was, in the captain's bed, about to feed the man his dinner. "'I thought you'd be ashore,' Flint said, breaking the silence. Silver frowned. "'Not to be rude, but you still need help,' he replied, his voice carefully level. He himself hated to rely on others, and he could see that such a need grated on Flint as well, with the only exception being Silver. They had seemed to form an unspoken, tentative pact between them ever since Charlestown. If one needed any help, the other would lend him a hand, and neither of them ever brought it up again. It worked, it was efficient, and it let Silver stay close to the man towards whom he harbored such weirdly unsettling fascination. They ate mostly quietly, with John feeding him bits and pieces of food, as surely as he fed him bits and pieces of information. So, do we know how the repairs are going? Flint asked, when he was done with the meat and cheese. He took a sip of rum, waiting for an answer, and a drop of it clung to his lower lip. Silver had to clear his throat to get a word out suddenly. At the fort? he rasped, then swallowed convulsively. Get a grip, he told his mind sternly. He had seen Flint rave with fever, had seen him piss himself when unconscious, and spill drink all over the bedding when his hands had been too shaky to hold the mug properly. Why did he still fascinate him so? Silver knew why. That little whisper at the back of his head had never really shut up. He kept on ignoring it, choosing the easier way, the one that wouldn't end in him being dismissed. Flint had always been profoundly uninterested in him, no matter how much he had tried to work his charms on his captain from the very beginning. He had done it for a whole lot of different reasons, the chief of which was his continued survival, but he had done it nevertheless. He would get a scoff at best, and a fierce scowl at worst, and Flint would go his merry way, completely immune to silver smiles and sly looks. Granted, his motifs had been nothing like the ones swimming through his head now, but still. "'Are you all right?' Flint asked, frowning, and John realized that he hadn't answered his question in far too long. He shook himself out of his thoughts. Yeah, sorry, just tired after supervising all the unloading, he covered smoothly. He should pat himself on the back. I've sent men out to talk to Rackham's crew, so we'll know how repairs are going tomorrow, I believe. Flint nodded, leaning back against the pillows, and Silver couldn't stop staring at him. The candlelight played tricks on his mind, 
making Flint's skin glow, shifting the shadows under his cheekbones into a little dance. He wanted to press his lips to those little hollows, drag his tongue down and under the man's jaw, scratch his hands against the bristly scalp and under the beard at his chin. "'You're worried about something,' the captain ventured, looking at him with narrowed eyes. He seemed to want to say something more, but chose to wriggle in place instead, arching against the pillows to make himself more comfortable, now that the meal was over. Silver knew he would probably get back to his book now, still too weak to do much even around his cabin. On instinct, he slid the empty plate to the floor, then leaned closer to help him adjust the pillows under his head. It brought their faces dangerously close to one another, and John made the mistake of looking down at him. Flint was watching him curiously, his calculating gaze focused entirely on Silver's eyes. It made him tingle, a shiver running up his spine as he braced Flint's head with one hand and fluffed the pillow up with the other. The skin under his fingers was soft and warm, and the muscles underneath tensed minutely. He finished the adjustments quickly, trying not to let his mind wander to the softness of Flint's lips that he could see right in front of him, to the crow's feet at the corners of his eyes that appeared whenever he was genuinely amused. He was just about to pull away when the captain tilted his head and sighed. And Silver froze. A whisper of, John reached his ears, and something inside him shook itself loose. He closed his eyes and dove down blindly, pressing their mouths together, the kiss without any finesse or purpose beyond the mindless smash of their mouths. Flint grunted in surprise, tensing underneath him, and Silver's mind ground to a halt, his own body going rigid. He pulled back hastily, panic flooding in when the captain blinked up at him with wide eyes. His lips parted to say something, but the mortification John felt at his own actions didn't let him stay for long enough to listen. He backed away, almost falling on his ass in his haste, then grabbed his crutch and was out of the cabin before he could stop to think what he was doing. He found himself at the ship's quarterdeck, without much conscious thought on his part, probably startling the watch with his sudden appearance, but everyone gave him a wide berth. They must have assumed that he had fought with their captain over something. Or maybe they just didn't care enough to intervene if nobody was bleeding. In any case, he was left alone to stand at the railing, the wind whipping his hair around wildly, in perfect harmony with the storm brewing inside his body. What the fuck was he thinking, kissing Flint? He couldn't even find it in himself to shake his head at his own audacity. The captain was notorious for his dislike of people in general, and he had expressed his opinion on Silver on numerous occasions in the past. Granted, their relationship had changed since then, and they had become something desperate people would call friends. But Silver doubted it warranted such brazen behavior towards the man. He raised his gaze and looked at Nassau. The town was bustling with the evening entertainment, pieces of songs and music reaching his ears like a buzz of insistent bees. It was never quiet here, and the sound served as a good background to drown out his own thoughts. His mind seemed to disagree, providing him with increasingly more scandalous images floating behind his eyes, a flint and him tangled on that cot, on feverish mouths and impatient hands traveling across sweaty skin. His lips were still tingling where he had pressed them to flints. He was so engrossed in his thoughts, he didn't hear the surprised gasps of his crew. 
It wasn't until a hand was placed next to his on the railing that he startled, glancing to the side quickly. The captain was there, one arm wrapped protectively around his middle, creasing the white shirt under its weight, the other braced against the gunwale, fingers pale where they clenched against the wood. He must have climbed all the steps to the quarterdeck alone, without Silver noticing nonetheless, and it was probably as much as he could afford himself in his current state. "'You shouldn't be up here,' Silver said unnecessarily, and just as unnecessarily, Flint shrugged. He came to stand beside him, leaning on the railing heavily. They didn't speak for a long time. John trying not to bite his tongue off, Flint seemingly collecting his thoughts. He looked torn between talking and keeping silent, a frown present. His lips pulled in a tight line when they didn't open on an aborted word. When he finally spoke, his voice was raspy, and it sent a bolt of light up John's spine. He tried to ignore it, and failed miserably. "'I'm sorry,' he muttered. Silver's eyes widened, the urge to laugh suddenly rising in him. It would be bitter, but it was there. "'You're sorry,' he replied, before he could stop himself. Flint's frown deepened. "'It's me who should be—' "'Look!' He shook his head. It was him who'd kissed the captain. It was him who probably ruined their tentative friendship. "'Can we just—' Forget about it. He really wanted to hide his face in his hands, but it would mean he had to let go of the gunwale and stop supporting himself. Landing on his ass on the deck because he was having a breakdown wouldn't look good in front of the men sitting a couple yards away. Flynn's eyes slid to him before he focused on the fires lighting up the shore. What if I don't want to forget about it? The captain asked quietly, his words barely a murmur in the wind. Silver's blood rushed to his head so quickly he felt dizzy suddenly. "'What?' he whispered. "'What if—' Flint broke off and licked his lips, then let his eyes flutter shut with a sigh. "'I liked it,' he admitted. So softly John thought for a moment he had imagined it altogether. But the captain was still there, his body as tense as one of the halyards, his expression carefully unreadable. Silver's mind reeled. But you... He paused, uncertain as to what he wanted to say. But you turned as rigid as one of the planks, but you seemed shocked, but I think I offended you somehow. I was surprised, Flint supplied, his head bowing down, his jaw working furiously for a second or two. It's not... He trailed off, then shook his head resignedly, sending one lingering look Silver's way. He turned around to descend the flight of stairs leading to the main deck, but his body wavered, probably exhausted after the short trek there. John was at his side in an instant, grasping his shoulder to stabilize him, stopping him from toppling over. Flint gave a self-deprecating chuckle, glancing at him sideways. "'Aren't we a pair?' he commented dryly. But Silver clenched his teeth at the wry humor. While the captain had clearly meant their physical states, with his wounded belly and Silver's missing leg, both of them crippled right then and there, clinging to each other not to fall on their faces, there was something in that comment that rushed through his body like an angry current beneath the surface of the sea. He stomped it down ferociously, ending whatever wild imaginings could be lingering at the corner of his mind, then helped Flint get back to his cabin without accidents 
Once inside, they made for the cot. And as the captain settled on it, John realized with painful clarity that there was no further need of him joining in. Flint wasn't feverish anymore. Hadn't been for a couple of days. He was healing, slowly but surely, and John could go back to his spot at the ledge under the window. He moved to do just that, studiously ignoring the kiss and the half-broken conversation they'd had on the deck, until the captain's voice brought him out of his thoughts. Silver, he inquired, and John couldn't not look back at him. Flint was lying on his side on the cot, the space in front of him empty, clearly waiting for him to take it. He stared, surprised, and Flint didn't move an inch. The blanket drawn back invitingly, his eyes boring into Silver's. I don't think it's a good idea, he said, even as he turned back fully and hopped over to the cot. The man didn't comment further, just waited there patiently, and the way his eyes looked at John caused little pleasurable shivers to run through all his limbs, even the one he was missing. Silver swallowed heavily, settling down rigidly next to his captain, stretching out on his side and facing him. Thunder could be heard somewhere in the distance, the storm finally breaking down. It would be all over them soon. Silver swallowed heavily. You said it's not... He started, not really aware of where he was going with it, beyond bringing back their windswept conversation from the deck. Flint's jaw tightened, and his eyes shifted down, getting stuck somewhere between them. There was someone... Long ago, he said, after a beat of silence. The words were thin, his voice thready, and John had to strain his ears to hear him. And then... Miranda. A sigh, a bitten lip, a tremor going through him. When he looked back up, the naked pain flickering over his features was like a punch to the gut. And oh, now John could see it a bit more clearly. There was no mistaking the heartbreak, plain as day, etched deeply into Flint's eyes. Whoever that person from the past had been, John had no illusions that they were no longer there. It must have been as powerful as whatever his captain had felt for Mrs. Barlow, and he had seen the love shining brightly between them when they both boarded the ship on their way to Charlestown. He had seen the despair that followed, too, having been subjected to it ever since she had died. He was the only one, probably. To everyone else, Flint had become more of his cutthroat self, the maniacal brute who didn't fear death, slaying everyone who stood in his way. John had seen his softer side when he had been recuperating after losing his leg. He had seen Flint's despair in a different light. Not the hardened face of a violent monster, but the man who tried not to fall apart in the stillness of his quarters, woken up by nightmares every night and choking back desperate sobs until the sun came to crawl across the sky once more. He leaned in slowly, taking his hand and placing it gingerly on Flint's cheek. The captain inhaled shakily his eyes fluttering shut. Flint, John whispered, and the man licked his lips quickly. James, he corrected quietly, softly. When his eyes opened again, they were nearly black, the green in them almost completely swallowed up. It's James. James, Silver acknowledged, trying the name out on his tongue. It was the first time he had heard anyone refer to the captain by his name.
and it was a little shocking to hear his own mouth utter the word. Before he could get lost in the marvel of this development, Flint's own hand traveled to his arm, fingers wrapping around it delicately. It was even more surprising to feel just how careful this violent man could be, with his fingertips gently skimming over Silver's shirt-clad skin. I liked it, Flint repeated his earlier comment, now staring right at John. Silver gulped. It was a permission and an invitation, all wrapped in a tiny little phrase. He knew that, knew he was welcome to do what he wanted, but it still filled him with fear as to the outcome. If he miscalculated, if he had gotten it wrong somehow, not only his feelings would be on the line, but also his life. But Flint's eyes were still watching him avidly, anticipating his next move. And oh, Silver was quite fed up with waiting and the what-ifs. He leaned in carefully, using his palm on the side of Flint's face to tilt it slightly, before he brought their mouths together. He pressed in slowly, his eyes falling shut in delight as those soft lips parted on a quiet moan. The hand still wrapped around his arm moved, and the captain brought it up, reaching for the nape of his neck, drawing him closer. John went along, settling against him tentatively, aware of the wound they shouldn't be touching. The captain didn't seem to have such qualms, shifting towards him until their chests were flush against one another, his tongue licking at Silver's lips in question. Silver responded, opening his mouth and letting it in, just to be swept away when Flint deepened the kiss and licked inside like a man starved. Silver's hand moved behind his head in answer, nails scratching against the shorn hair like he'd wanted to do for so long, delighted at the shiver he could feel thundering through Flint's body. He got a sharp bite to his lower lip in retaliation, and Flint's palm rubbed down over his back, all the way to his ass, long fingers encompassing half of it. Breathlessly, they pulled back slightly, panting against each other's mouths, eyes wild and cheeks growing pink. John couldn't believe how handsome his captain looked, all flushed, and he let his palm travel across the heated skin in awe, biting his tongue against a few completely ridiculous comments that were crowding behind his teeth, ready to come out. James eyed him with a cocked eyebrow, but didn't try to pry his secrets from him, choosing instead to bring his hand around, back to the front of Silver's body. He cupped him through his breeches, earning a faint moan when pleasure flooded John's guts. Fuck, Silver rasped, barely recognizing his own voice, he was hard already, had been steadily getting there since he had climbed back beside his captain, and the warm palm mapping out his shape through the material was more than his sanity could reasonably take. Flint hummed, leaning in for another kiss, his movements careful. He was still in pain, John realized, ready to berate himself for being thoughtless, but his resolve disappeared when James attacked his mouth again making him melt into the bedding with gentle bites and long swipes of his tongue. Silver shuffled around, trying to get closer without putting too much strain on Flint's wound. But he didn't pay enough attention to his stump, which got squeezed by accident under their combined weight. Ah, oh, shit! He jerked away, hissing, and James froze at once, wide eyes staring at him with worry. What? What happened? The question was barely out of his mouth, when John shook his head with a wince, one hand shooting to his leg, 
his fingers wrapping around the bandage protectively. Pain radiated from the end of the stump all the way to his hip, a burning, pulsing line of fire, and he bit his lip to stifle a wild whine building inside of his chest. Oh, how John hated this! He was an invalid now, a half-man, and he could get used to that, would get used to that, because the only other alternative was to kill himself, and he had done everything in his life not to end up doing that. But the excruciating pain still haunting him, weeks after the amputation, the uncertainty of every movement that the unexpected debilitating bursts brought with them, that was something he hated with passion, especially when they stopped him from getting something he so desperately wanted. He blinked rapidly, his eyes misty, then gritted his teeth against all possible noises that would betray just how fucking much it hurt. Flint watched him silently, his own hands hovering inches above Silver's body, unsure of where to settle, undecided whether to touch or if it would make it worse. Finally, when a few deep breaths helped him relax, John felt those warm palms settle gently on his arms, drawing him closer carefully. As soon as he was pressed securely to James' chest, one of his hands moved down, sliding along his bad leg, fingers light when they arrived at the knee. So delicately, it almost brought tears to his eyes. Flint lifted it, placed it across his own bent knee, letting what was left of John's calf rest above the bedding. The angle was a lot more comfortable than he would have thought, and James' fingers gently squeezed his thigh, carefully massaging the tension away. All right? Flint asked, the arm he had thrown around John's shoulders tightening slightly. Silver nodded, letting out a sigh. Cradled as he was, with his head on James' shoulder and his bad leg lifted over James' knee, he felt more comfortable than he had in weeks, and his flagging arousal started to make itself known once more when Flint's careful fingers strayed towards his groin. He hummed, pushing his hips up, then moaned quietly when those fingers tugged his trousers open and drew him out. We shouldn't, John tried to remember reason. You're injured. I'm fine. And then, James was leaning forward, taking his mouth in a slow, toe-curling kiss, and God, but Silver could feel it cascading down his spine with the force of a wildfire. He groaned, his own hands grasping Flint blindly, seeking the strong body like a drowning man would a raft. His fingers encountered the thin shirt Flint was wearing and skimmed down, bypassing the bandage wrapped tightly around his abdomen. James hissed quietly into his mouth for a moment, but continued to stroke him, pulling away to gulp in a few rushed breaths. John, he murmured, and it sounded like a prayer. Silver shivered, untying the laces of his trousers quickly, sneaking his hand under the material to grasp Flint's length. He had some experience with other sailors, and not only on the walrus. It was a good way to earn favors, and John had always been a sneaky little rat, so he had discovered it pretty early on. None of the cocks he had been up and personal with had even come close to the one he was holding right now. It wasn't the size of it, although he had to admit it was perfectly fit to drive him wild if they ever did more than this. It wasn't the fact that it was hard and hot and leaking at the tip, a mouth-watering combination that had Silver salivating like a dog. No, what made this one so special was simply that it was Flint's. His captain was right next to him, stroking Silver's length slowly, intently, 
and the little breathy moan he let trickle right into John's ear when his fingers closed around the sturdy length was more than he could survive. The most fierce man in the whole of the Caribbean was lying at his side, both hands on silver, his lips whispering kisses right under Silver's ear, hips rocking minutely into the grip Silver had on his cock, and, well, John felt a little overwhelmed with it. He turned his face to Flint's, asking wordlessly for a proper kiss again. When his wish was granted with enough enthusiasm to rob him of all the air in his lungs, he started to move his hand in time with James's, mimicking the movements on his own manhood. The captain caught up on the little game easily, quickening his pace in increments, and soon they were both groaning helplessly, drinking the sounds from each other's mouths, shaking as they tipped over the edge of pleasure. Through the haze, John was dimly aware of Flint murmuring his name, over and over again, as if he wanted to make sure Silver was with him, and he couldn't help but grasp the nape of his neck, keeping James as close as possible clutching him tightly until the shivers subsided and gave way to lazy kisses and slow hands, wandering over accidentally exposed skin. They tucked themselves away and were content to just breathe each other's air, but their combined release turned sticky very quickly as the mess started to cool down on their shirts. Silver tried to ignore it valiantly, but failed to hold in his grimace when he smeared it over his hand by accident. Flint huffed out a laugh, then winced, one hand traveling to his bandaged belly. "'Are you all right?' Silver asked, hoping his voice didn't sound as worried as he suddenly felt. The captain gave him a tiny shrug to wave off the concern, but the wince persisted. "'I'm fine,' he answered, then sat up gingerly, ignoring John's hand hovering around him to help. Slowly, he tugged open the lacing of his shirt, then pulled it off, frowning when John leaned closer to take it from him. The residue mess of their coupling got lost somewhere in the folds of the material, and he suddenly understood what a great idea it was. Shirtless and pressed skin to skin. Helping Flint get comfortable on the cot again, John threw the captain's shirt to the deck, then pulled off his own with hurried moves. He let it fall down, too, before he hesitated, glancing at the man. James was watching him calmly, his eyes alert, even if they seemed sleepy and with a start, Silver realized their legs were still touching, with his injured one resting over Flint's knee and his thigh pressed close to the captain's. He had simply never moved away, his body content to stay in the most comfortable position he had been in in weeks, and he hadn't had the idea to change it on the cot almost too narrow for two fully grown men. Flint was still staring at him avidly, looking a little worried now. John forced himself to smile and settled back down stiffly. He tried to brush it off, but he couldn't. Not really. His mind was already crowding with insistent questions that had the potential to rob him of any sleep. What exactly was he doing? In the captain's bed? With the captain at his side? He felt slightly like usurping a spot, even if there was nobody to claim it. He also felt highly presumptuous, inserting himself next to Flint like this. The man was injured and had he been in position of his full length, none of that would have happened. "'What's wrong?' James asked, the words a whisper. "'Nothing,' Silver lied, then felt bad instantly. He didn't want to lie anymore, not to Flint. They had built something between them, 
in this cabin filled with so much pain and grief. He could lie to the crew. He could scheme the whole fucking world to get what he wanted. But he didn't want to lie to this one man anymore. You don't have to tell me, James went on, unbothered by the inner turmoil that must have been showing on his face by now. One hand sneaked around John's waist and held him loosely. You need to know, though, that you're always welcome here, the captain added, closing his eyes with a sigh. Silver blinked at the beams above them dumbly. Somehow, Flint must have known exactly what was running through his head. The thought was a little unsettling, but a bigger part of him was glad. It meant he didn't have to do more explaining. It's going to end badly, John whispered, frowning. If the crew catches wind of this... The crew suspects already, James interrupted him smoothly, nuzzling closer to his shoulder. John almost choked on his own tongue. What? Mm-hmm. They have a bet going, the captain explained. He seemed sleepy and completely unbothered. Silver envied him a little. Since when? Way before Charles Dunn, I believe. A shrug. I think it was about us tying the knot by the end of the year, or the next one. Tying the knot? He felt faint. His heart gave a lurch, something he was completely unprepared to have dangling right in front of him. He'd rather it was a joke, that he could stay as they were, perfectly content in their little heaven, removed from reality whenever the time was right. Flint snorted, his breath fanning over Silver's skin. Made a lodge, Mr. Silver. It's a long-standing piratical tradition. John felt slightly horrified with himself when he couldn't find a good response to that. A chuckle was the answer to his sudden muteness, and Flint tilted his head just so, placing a kiss on his cheek. It was soft and sweet, and it served to ease Silver's nerves somewhat. Sleep, John. The men don't care. Nassau won't either. He sounded so sure of it, John finally let himself relax, quickly becoming boneless. The exhaustion brought on by caring for his captain in the last days took its toll and he drifted off swiftly, wrapped securely in the man's arms. It took Flint another three weeks to be fully operational, and once he was up and kicking again, his first order was to kill another magistrate. Silver didn't approve fully, trying to subtly change his captain's mind after being on the vanguard. It all came to a head two months later, when one sword too many grazed Flint's arm, sending him to howl to be stitched up. It had been sheer dumb luck that Billy had managed to put a bullet through the man attacking Flint, and Silver made sure to express his disapproval of the captain's recklessness. He kept his reasons to himself, that tiny part inside his own chest that glowed like embers deep in a fire pit, whispering to him about things he shouldn't want or have. He shouldn't care about Flint's well-being, not beyond what was expected of the crew, so he disguised it as a healthy concern on a daily basis. As always, when somebody tried to reason Flint out of his perfect plan— perfect in his opinion only, Flint lashed out at him, snarling and threatening, using barbed words that were more effective, cutting into silver deeper than any knife ever could. John bristled, huffed, and scoffed, then went on his merry way to the belly of the ship to let his captain stew in his own madness. He knew well how Flint operated now, and he wouldn't try to defuse this particular bomb on the spot. He went to the galley, called Theo over, then started preparing their dinner. In the evening, when Flint had been given sufficient time to cool down, they shared a bottle of rum. 
The captain's eyes were still soft when he looked at John across his desk, and the spot next to him in bed was still invitingly empty when John joined him later. The arms wrapping around his waist were leaner now after weeks of convalescence, but they were no less strong as they held him close. A mouth pressed an apology to his neck, and John sighed happily, stretching out and letting his eyes fall shut. "'I'm sorry,' James's fingers rubbed into his skin. "'I love you,' Silver's lips tickled across his temple, refusing to speak the truth aloud. The arms tightened minutely, and John was sure the captain knew anyway. Today I got to sit down with Tora, who joined me all the way from Poland. Full disclosure, we had this conversation at the beginning of July to take advantage of a break in her schedule. On the one hand, it means some of the things we mentioned are outdated already. The WGA is no longer striking, but SAG-AFTRA still is. However, on the other hand, it's provided time. Oodles of time. One thing I want to say about this podcast is how much it has allowed me to really unite with the fandom, and particularly with the writers I've featured. This platform has forged incredible friendships for me, none more so than with Tora. We knew each other through Twitter, of course, geeking out over Black Sails and Toby Stevens, but over the course of planning this episode, a true bond has formed, and I am happy to call her my dear, dear friend. Vitaiv Bogkastia Moya Piengna Pchichuko. The water is warm, so let's dive right in. So hi, welcome, Tora. It's so fabulous to have you on the podcast. Hi, hello. It's nice to be here. And thank you for doing it. It's it's a lot. I mean, Jesus. Very happy to be here. I'm so excited. I absolutely fell in love with your story, Cinnamon. Um, and it's it was relatively newly published. And literally the day that it came out, the day that you published it, uh, I read it. I was like, this is going to be it this is going to be our transition piece and we're going to do this. This is amazing. Um, So I want to start out by asking, uh, when did you first discover Black Sails? When did you get into it? Um, I did discover it uh, back in the day when it was like coming out, but I was at the same time getting off of Tumblr. So I didn't watch it exactly. I I knew about it. I knew what what it was about uh, for the major part. I knew the ending. Uh, I didn't go into it. I actually watched it all in 2021, uh, at the at the end of 21, I believe. And this is where, like you know, like my my heart was sold. You know, the first episode, and I'm in. So yeah. How much of the end did you know? All of it. All of it because oh. the, the yeah the the gifs were flying all all over Tumblr. The uh, the story was there. Everyone was so happy so excited that we got our you know, like happy ending uh for the for the lgbtq characters so everyone was mm-hmm. like yeah. uh so i knew about it but it, it never spoiled anything for me like the the story kind of defended itself yeah um i think i managed to be i managed to stay spoiler free for the ending in terms of 
Thomas, but I knew that there was a an ambiguous ending in whether or not Flint was alive or dead at the end. I knew that because I I had accidentally seen something um, to that uh, effect on Twitter. Um, so I still managed to have some surprises at the end. And of course, I was completely devastated and obliterated by the ending of the show, as everyone is. Um, oh, it's <laughs> amazing. It's just so amazing. It's so good. And I kind of love that they made the ending so ambiguous. Uh, I mean, you can you can uh, debate whether he lives, whether he dies, whether what Silver says is the truth or not the truth. You know, the story is true. The story is untrue. But uh, it's it's beautiful that we can have this conversation and still like not be at each other's throats. You know, it's it's great. Oh gosh, yeah. And what's wonderful about it, and especially as we're talking right now, the Writers Guild is striking, the Actors Guild is striking, and what what is so remarkable about Black Sales is how much it focuses on the power of storytelling. And it has obsessed us all <laughs> for for so many years. Like I am going on three years of having been just immersed in this fandom, and it it is it's not letting up in any way in terms of the the mental fixation on this story. It's so overwhelming um, in terms of the themes. Um, they're so universal. And what makes them so remarkable is both a perfect dovetail of the writing and the performances, because there is so much on the page for the actors to work with. And then the actors came with it with all of this subtext and uh, all of this nuance and yeah, pay them. So (laughs) I hope it gets somewhere. Uh, I hope they, they managed to, uh, to get their pace because like, like seriously, this, this is, this is otherworldly. Like, like they did such a great job. All of them, the cast, the producers, the writers, uh, like I'm in awe. And like you said, it doesn't leave you. It's like, it's like constant obsession. It's always there. Like I can just pop in, like see two or five memes and I'm like, yep back on the track you know it's it's like always there it's wonderful yeah there are there are certain stories that that i have enjoyed in the past um but this one rewires your brain there are very few people that i have met in terms of um people in the fandom or who have at least finished watching black sales that are not completely changed by it and i think that is you know that is what makes us human is the ability to tell stories that that have an effect and and have lasting change and it's beautiful. So uh, I know we probably just touched on this, but what really resonated uh, with you in particular with Black Sails? Because I know that you've been involved in fandoms in the past. What what drove you to to Black Sails? Uh, I mean, except for the great cast and, and absolutely marvelous writing, because it's always there, and their ability to tell the story, because it's beautiful, and the story itself is very complicated, it's very encompassing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think what actually struck me with Black Sails is like this free, this fight for freedom from the oppression, uh, because we have uh, the Maroons, we have pirates, we have just normal people trying to do something to change the world. 
and to you know like stick it stick it to the to the government and you know like living in a country where i am right now it's not very good in here uh in terms of you know like like lgbtq people uh there are parties that want to uh you know get up and and basically put us into jail so that's not that's not good that's not nice um so having this story having this you know big uh, great hard character that just goes comes in and, and he just fights for it uh regardless of what his reasons were like he was like there was grief there was rage he was like you know he was he was trying to get some some kind of revenge uh but it also shows you that that it's very important regardless of when you live and where you live it's important to like remember that the minorities like we're part of the world and you can't just like you know, push us at, on the margin like we, we won't just stay silent we are here and we're here to fight for it you know so that's that's kind of what got my heart you know from the from from basically day one because i did know what was going on in black sales so i i didn't know what the show was about uh so i i knew that flynn had a story and i was like yeah okay that's my baby fighting you know so, yeah i agree and i think that is something that that we cannot brush aside and we cannot soften um, because even though we have made massive strides um, in some parts of the world, there are many places uh, where, where people are fighting simply to survive for the right to exist. And, um, you know, one of the things that I've seen, there's, there has been some friction, um, <laughs> between the <laughs> our flag means death fandom and black sales um and one of the i i see you laughing <laughs> we've had discussions about this <laughs> the uh, great, yeah, that's, a, that's a whole different uh, this is, <laughs> hands down okay so if you're listening to this and you are not on tumblr You've missed probably the funniest thing to happen on Tumblr in I don't know how long. But anyway, there has been a friction between the two fandoms in terms of which show is gay enough. And, you know, a lot of the arguments in favor of Our Flag Means Death is that, oh, well, we live in a, we, our story is based in a world where there is no prejudice, where it's accepted and they don't have to, it's just like, I get that. And that's wonderful. But it is important to acknowledge the fact that we are still fighting, that people are still fighting for equality to exist in the world, just on an even keel, on an even playing field as everybody else. And those stories deserve to be told. And even if it's set in 1715, it is no less relevant today. There are struggles happening everywhere. Uh, when I lived in Japan, um, there was a whole other set of issues in regards to equality and um, the way that uh, queer people are treated. And it is something that is in constant need of addressing. Um, no, queer char characters should not constantly be fed into the tragedy machine. I understand that. But the, the fight deserves to be voiced. You have written for quite a few fandoms. What's been your experience in terms of the fandom uh, reception of your work across the board with various things that, that you've been involved in? Uh, well, to be completely honest, some fandoms are good, as we all know. 
and some are bad and some are dead and some are still very much alive and I, I was very happy to discover that Black Sails was very much an, an alive still fandom even though it's it's pretty small compared to other fandoms but it's still there it's it's lively very lively mm-hmm. uh, but you know like some fandoms go bad over the years uh, I haven't seen it with Black Sails in the time that I've been here uh, thankfully, I know there was some, you know, like some some friction uh, between fans about Flint being gay versus Flint being bi versus Flint being demisexual, whatever. Like, what have you? Like, the, the, that's not the point of Flint. We all know it. Um, but I've seen people in here being mostly on the same side of things and, mm-hmm. and being inclusive uh, and like and so ferocious about defending the LGBTQ rights. Uh, there's like other fandoms, for example, the Sherlock fandom, that turned into a shit show very quickly. Uh, the Walking Dead was, that was a complete mess down the line. I, I love the series. I didn't like what was happening around it. Uh, and if, with, you know, like with Black Sails and the wonderful cast that we have, uh, like when I saw Toby, like Toby's tweets, when he was defending, basically he was defending Flint's queerness online. Uh, to people who went in and were trying to, I, I don't know what they were trying to do, to be completely honest, they were trying to, to extort something, uh, like, I don't know, power, like maybe to feel better, I don't know. But they came at him uh, and tried to like diminish Flint and diminish what, what uh, was written about him, like try to make him into the bad guy because he was I don't know, gay, bisexual, whatever. And it's kind of, it was so heartwarming to see Toby defending the character and defending the lgbtq basically everyone in in the uh in, in this group like like he was ferociously defending us basically so it's, it was like this strange feeling when i saw this uh, i had this feeling like last month there was a pride march in our in our uh city there were like five thousand people walking and I went there like spontaneously because I didn't plan on that but I learned about it so I was like yeah okay so let's go and I took the flag and I kind of like I was carrying on my shoulders and I felt like I was wrapped in a, in a safety blanket under that flag because I knew that there were like 5,000 people around me and I was completely mm-hmm. and there were like you know like counter manifestos somewhere there were like five people protesting us sending five five uh, standing somewhere protesting our march and all that stuff but like I was feeling so safe in there and this is like in this it, it's it's like that in this fandom like yeah we are absolutely like a safe fandom for everyone except for bigots but we don't want them to hear <laughs> yeah so yeah like every single person involved in here like the the fans the cast the the producers the whole show and and us we are like a safe space and, and this is amazing. We can have our disagreements, but it's it's generally it's it's like home, basically. Yeah, so, yeah. I I don't want any other fandoms. I'm staying with this one. I love it absolutely, and I feel the same way. Like I have, I have not really been very immersed in other fandoms in terms of the only other one that I I was involved in was Outlander, and that was for a brief time um and there was there was a, an extreme high level of crazy that came with that particular phantom in terms of um oh poor sam and kate but um there 
the the difference between that fandom and this that fandom tends to reread the same books over and over and over and over again and you come to the black sales fandom and everybody is pulling literary references from like everywhere and it's like oh my god you are my people i love you because this that's that it's absolutely you know the more you can pull uh from everywhere to inform your opinion on something instead of having tunnel vision I, I absolutely love it. That's one of the best things about this fandom. They're so well-read. They're so intelligent. Um, you know, they're kind-hearted. Um, they're accepting. They're tolerant. It's amazing. Love it. It's the safest space ever. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, I'm I'm constantly surprised. You know, like, one day you go into Tumblr or, or into Twitter, and it's like, oh, yeah, we're doing Shakespeare today. And it's not just, like, any Shakespeare works. Like, no, we, we go, we got it tailored to black sales we've got all those quotations and they all fit look at this look at that look at here oh and here they were quoting uh this and here they were quoting this and look at this this is the reference to this and there is the tempest there is the you know like uh king henry and this is there and i'm yeah I'm, oh my goodness okay it's fine. like pulling obscure it's not like you know everybody quoting hamlet that's one of the things that i describe black sales to uh people all the time if shakespeare wrote a pirate show and so you are able to pull out all of these shakespearean quotes and it it is not at all out of place absolutely absolutely 100 yep um do you have a favorite fic that you've written for each fandom like uh kind of a definitive fic that uh, you've done not for every fandom not for every fandom, uh, sometimes like, like, okay, there is one fandom that I can say with like 100% uh, like, like um, sureness of the statement that there is, that, that's my favorite fic that is out there and the fandom is Les Norton and there is only one fic that I've written and this is like the only fic in the whole freaking fandom. <laughs> like there is one <laughs> work on AO3 and it's mine <laughs> it's like oh my it's, gosh yeah it's a tiny it's a tiny tv series from australia and i watched it only because uh it's like a noir uh, like a bit of uh, like a like a mob a bit of mafia a bit of like um more like shady business and mm-hmm. it's happening at sydney uh if i remember correctly like in the like noir era and it's very good. I watched it just because David Wenham was uh, playing in there. And like people may know him from playing Faramir in Lord of the Rings. I love oh. this. Oh, amazing. He's great. Yes. Yeah. So I wrote that and I can see with my, no, like 100% certainty. That's my favorite trick from that fandom. But yeah, I have, I have a few, but not for every fandom. I have one from The Walking Dead that's uh, paper thin and it was a manifest. Uh, and it's, it's like, book length mm-hmm. uh, it took me more than a year to write it it took me another year to format it and it's like a manifest about uh abortion about having kids about not wanting to have kids and how nobody should be forced to do that mm-hmm. uh, so that was that and the response is like i got it myself writing that to be completely honest and like responses to that were crazy because like like people the, the the whole thing is the whole the whole shtick of it is like uh, it's Omegaverse and one of the main characters it's it's uh, gay but like one of the main characters gets pregnant uh, through uh, like he was he was raped 
and he's pregnant and he doesn't want the baby. He does. He never wanted to have a baby, and now he doesn't want it like double that, you know, hard. And uh, there is this Omega verse thingy uh, that you know, in the time that I was writing, it was very popular. That when you have a new alpha, the your like your body basically rejects rejects the the um, the, the child, the pregnancy. Mm. So he's trying to get something on with Daryl because you know, like Daryl is the only like person who basically like like he trusts and so on and so forth, and they get rid of the of the pregnancy in the end. And what was mind blowing to me were the comments that I got. There were people who were like asking me till the last line of the fic, tell me they're going to keep the baby. Please tell me they're going. And I'm like, I have tagged it up and down that there is going to be abortion and there's going to be, <laughs> and we're not having this baby. And I, I given like, a, there is like a full statement in like at the beginning of the fic that no, 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 that's not going to happen. And there's still like, oh, please can you like, no. <laughs> So yeah, that was crazy. Uh, I still like this fig though. Uh, it's like, mm-hmm. no, that's my manifest. And there are a couple of others from uh, Lord of the Rings. Uh, especially I like I like my um, old guys getting it on. So I have like an Aragorn and Theoden fig that they get it on together. Uh, more like, you know, friends than the romance. But yeah, yeah, there is, there is a couple. I do play uh, Lord of the Rings online. So I'm kind of in that world still. I... Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm always happy when I go to to Minasteris and I can, you know, like my brain just comes up with new ideas for fix and I'm like, stop, I don't have time to write that down, you know, but there is always like something um, pinging around in there. That's interesting because I was never involved in a fandom around the Lord of the Rings, but I have been like immersed in that story since I was a very young child my it was it's one of the first things i remember my dad reading to us and it's i think it's probably one of the reasons why i read everything out loud and why i got into um you know this love of audio narration is when my dad read he would do all the voices and then he would get he it was a full on performance every single time and when i was old enough to read myself cuz he started when we were very young and when i was old enough to read myself i i would like snuggle up and i would kind of read ahead on the page and he would catch me it's like are you reading ahead stop it stop it <laughs> oh my goodness this is so cute but i i loved it and then it was the first it's the first like large book that I uh, read. And I think I was like seven or eight um, when I started reading the Lord of the Rings uh, on my own. And then for Christmas one year in, I think I was maybe 10. My parents got this box set of tapes. It was a whole box set of these audio cassette recordings of um, the mind's eye production of Lord of the Rings. The whole thing was 12 hours long. Um, I was really, really sick as a kid. I had very bad asthma. And so I was home a lot in and out of the hospital. And every single time I was homesick, um, we didn't have a TV until I was much older. Um, So it was either reading um, or listening to this. And so when I was homesick, I would listen to the whole thing all the way through. So I have a very, very deep and visceral connection to Lord of the Rings. But what makes it weird is that I was never involved in the fandom of any kind. It was just something I internalized. So like I, I could talk Lord of the Rings until your ears fell off. <laughs> I've listened to it and read it 
so, so many times. Uh, moving on to cinnamon, which is the fic that we're featuring for this episode. I absolutely love it. It's so beautiful. And it it goes into the trope of hurt comfort, which is ubiquitous in this fandom. We have featured three. This is the third of the hurt comfort fix that we have featured. The first one, of course, vulgar holy thing features it just uh in terms of you know silver hurting himself in the course of the story the the second one we featured uh was jay's fic uh with head shaving this one is the um most serious of the three where there is the actual threat of death involved so there's so much of the hurt comfort just permeating this fandom so what about this show and Flint and Silver in particular, do you think draws that trope out uh, for fic writers? Well, to be completely honest, I think that Hurt Comfort is like the foundation of, of all slash fiction back in the day of Star Trek, I guess. Uh, but like with our boys specifically, I think they are both so deeply hurt. Uh, they've been hurt, you know, throughout their life. Uh, whether we know the cause of it, like with James, we learn it, or we don't know the cause of it with Silver, uh, because there is something, and I think that was a very smart writing choice not to not to give us that information. We can put whatever we want in there, whatever horrors we want to create, we can put them mm, in. Yeah. Uh, so that's very nice for us big writers. Like we like that. Uh, but you know, like they, they decided to trust each other uh, despite that. At first, they because you know, like life threw them together so they had no other choice later on they did have a choice and it was conscious to trust each other and you know like to extend that kind of trust uh when you have to be you know the 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 top and unbending pirate captain or the quartermaster you can show your weaknesses outside uh like no matter how much you're hurting inside like it's it just kind of begs to be written about i i love to see that you know like strong troubled characters that need to keep up the appearances for everyone's sake uh and just they are just breaking inside and letting the other person in because it starts to hurt like too much to stand any longer uh and that person they let in like they help so like with mm-hmm. Flint and silver we have that in both of them just for different reasons sometimes for the same reasons sometimes for different reasons uh so it was a natural choice to, to kind of you know go down that rabbit hole uh with with those two as a pairing i know i'm ultimately a, a flint's girl so you know i'll happy to pair him with anyone who i can see flint trusting you know mr gates wink wink uh <laughs> yeah like, you know like somebody he can be he can be vulnerable with mm-hmm. uh, and show them his you know his his soft underbelly and not be afraid of being judged or of being uh hurt more and I think the same goes for Silver. And this is why they, they kind of fit so well in that in that trope. Because like Silver, I, I've been thinking about this uh, lately. Because when Silver says, I, I don't want it, when it's like, when, when they're uh, about to cut off his leg, when, when Howell is like, you no, know, about to perform the, the surgery. This like him saying, I do not want this. It's, yeah. it's very powerful in there. Because like, we can say that on one uh, part, it's just like, you know, like, yeah, they're, 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 he's talking about cutting off his leg. But then when you kind of imagine what Silver could have gone through in his life, you can get a lot more horrors connected with that. 
and with him being helpless and with him like trying to justify that he didn't want something to happen or he didn't want something to be done to him so mm-hmm. and then you have you have flint who is like the only other character there who can kind of commiserate him being hurt uh, on any level uh even though flint didn't lose any of his limbs but like you know like the hurt is there and i think like they just fit in in that scenario so very well like they can hold each other up uh, and no comfort each other so yeah that's that's like kind of like a natural choice to me with them yeah um and thinking about that i don't want this i don't want this um because in that moment what he's being given um the choice between is losing the leg or losing his life um it's very very it's made very clear to him um if we don't take it off it you know it will kill you and so at that point you know you can interpret him saying i don't want to lose my leg i don't want this i don't want this but he also could be saying don't save me i don't want this i don't want i don't i don't want to live this life without my leg i can't go forward and one of the things that that in in going back to james's fic um i'll probably reference back to vulgar holy things so many times in ever it's just oh my gosh it's so um, good it's yes, so, it's so great it's so beautiful i love it so much but where uh he writes he, he's looking for some reason to run there has always been uh, there's always something. There's always a reason to run. And looking at Silver in this moment, he has lived his life running from one place to, I mean, h- how did he get on the ship uh, for that was being taken to begin with? You know, he obviously, he does not seem like he was part of that crew. He does not at all. It seems like he was in the process of running from something else. Like, so his whole, his whole life, it seems like if you, you know, project out from the character that he, the way that he is living his life and the, and the character that he is in that moment, that, that his whole existence has been running from trauma to trauma to trauma and losing that leg means losing his ability to run. So he is going to be whatever trauma he's he's experiencing at that point, losing that leg will trap him in it. There is no running from that trauma. And so it's it's very interesting that that he says that in that moment, because again, it is completely cutting off his ability to uh, com- to continuously run away from himself. Oh, and yeah. then there's also, you know what what Toby has said, um, in regards to Flint's own fear of, uh, he was talking about um, the subtext with uh, James and Silver and saying whatever feelings that Flint might have, um, he would be absolutely terrified to admit to them. And, you know, I, I don't think that it is anything that we as a viewer are wrongfully interpreting and wrongfully uh, in inserting into it. It is all there in the performance. Um, but there is also on top of that, a very clear trepidation and a very clear fear of any kind of additional loss that he is portraying. So it's really interesting. And like, there's so much 
in there and there's so many layers. And that's, you know, one of the things that, again, makes this particular story so compelling. I, I would like to also to say, like, because it just came to me, because uh, you are so right about uh, Silver running away. And there was this uh, Tumblr post about Flint, uh, like all he knows is how to fight because he had to fight since he was a, probably a small boy. He had to fight mm-hmm. for, his, you know, for his place in the world. He had to fight for, you know, like to, to get up in the army, like in, in the Navy, basically. He had to fight later on to, to you know, like to, to uh, do whatever they wanted to do with NASA, with Thomas. And then he had to fight as a captain and then he had to fight for NASA and also so on and so forth. And I, I think like we have, because when people are scared, when people are in danger, you have the fight or flight reaction. I think we, in the, both of them, we see both sides of it. Silver mm-hmm. is flight and, and Flint is fight. And yeah. I think this is like another level of why uh, it couldn't have worked out between them as well as it should have. Because like, like they don't think in the same way. Like Silver wants to fly. Like he wants, he wants to get out of there. Flint, Flint is like you know, like entrenching and like you know, ah oh, no, we're we're fighting, we're fighting. And also like yeah, it's 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 tragic. It's a Greek tragedy. Basically. Yeah. Oh gosh. And you know what? That is so true because at the end, that is exactly the conflict. They're standing there, opposite each other. And Flint, all he can think about is fighting to save this relationship. That is what he wants. Exactly. He's like, I, he, even when they're still on the ship before they've gone on to back onto the island to, to dig up the treasure, um, he's talking about how they can move on from this, how they can repair their relationship. And you see on Silver's face, he's like, I don't understand how you still think that we can do this, how you still think we can move on from this. He's already running in his head. And, and Flint is dug in his heels and he is going to fight for this. And Silver is like, nah, man, I'm running. I'm halfway down the block already. And it is just so sad. It's yeah. so sad because they obviously, they obviously care so deeply for each other. Yet their complete approach to existence itself is polar opposite. That's just so sad. Yeah. Oh, well, that, that's Silver Flint for you. Yep. <laughs> that's yeah, why that's it's tragic. Why we, yeah, that's <laughs> why we can have nice things. <laughs> so um, one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about is in terms of um, writing intimate scenes. So uh, you have a number of fics that involve scenes of intimacy, um, but they strike very different tones when you go from fic to fic to fic. So how do you go about approaching the specific tone that you want for those intimate scenes um, so that they feel organic and they, they nestle uh, gently into your story? Well, it's, it's kind of different for every fic, I guess, because like, you know, from story to story, it's uh, every, every story is dependent on something else. So I think it's like the result of what the story is about. So, with, you know, in a, in a fic like Cinnamon, for example, I wanted to have them vulnerable uh, and, and you know, Silver being emotionally vulnerable and Flint being physically vulnerable. So I could go at it like I did. 
but sometimes you just want to show the the like the, the rawness of the feeling sometimes you just want them to be more poetic about it uh sometimes no it, it just depends on you know how the mood strikes you uh and what the fic is about really mm-hmm. and I'm trying to um, kind of put in a bit of some sort of desperation to that, probably because I'm mostly asexual. <laughs> it's like, uh, it's, it's, it's like, I think it's reactionary in me. Uh, like I, I jokingly say that like around 80% of me is asexual and the rest is like a flaming bisexual. <laughs> um, so like you know like if I think about someone this way I need to be like desperate for something from them so I kind of try to put that into fix like this kind of desperation but it's it can be you know like being touch starved it can be like being not stable emotionally and seeing this one person as the as the the, the one who can bring you back uh sometimes it's just like you know like being horny because I don't know blood blast a good battle so, you know, like, I, I guess with Flint, it has to be on, like, a strong emotional basis, uh, because that's what drives him every day, so I try to put that in, but not mm-hmm. always, sometimes you just want, you know, a good romp in the sheet, <laughs> just, you know, for entertainment. Yeah, I think that's what separates, in terms of my my connection to certain fix is that in my mind, there has to be just a, a deep emotionality to it, it it doesn't matter what emotion it is, but there has to be uh, something deep anchoring um, the intimacy to the story, to the characters. And that's why your stories work so well. I have I have consumed everything that you've put out like immediately. And um, there is always that. And I, I've talked, I talked to Jay about those butterfly moments and those happen in every single one of your fix. They're it's just wonderful. And I, I just, sometimes you just want to float with the characters for a while and it's wonderful. Oh, thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. This one in particular, like just the moment where Flint pulls back the covers and just kind of coaxes him over. I'm just like, oh, and just that moment where he's just like, I liked it. And it was just beautiful. I absolutely love it. It's, it's wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Um, so what is, um, do you have a favorite passage that you've written, whether it's in this fic or just in the fandom in general? I actually, I have, I have a favorite passage that I've written. Um, but as, as of now that we're having this conversation, it's not published yet. (laughs) Oh, Okay. It's completely crazy uh, because it's from Pivot that I've started to... Uh, I to love up. Pivot. Yeah, Pivot is... Oh my God, it's been in the works for more than a year. And it all started with just one scene. And this is like crazy because I just wanted to have that one scene. Uh, and it's about James uh, jerking off after a sea battle when he's the, the pirate captain. Silver is not there yet. They're like, you know, in the middle of the, you know, the, the good period of the 10 years mm-hmm. uh, because I go by the periods. And I just had this idea of Flint getting back to the cabin and he's like, you know, they're underway. He's like completely covered in blood. He's like, you know, he, he just throws his uh, sword on his desk and he's just like staring at it. And there is the bloodlust coursing through him. He's, he's horny after the battle. He's like vibrating with energy. He has no idea what to do about that. 
um, and like this animalistic feel of it. Like he just, you know, like jumps his his hand in his uh, pants and starts jerking off over that that bloodied sword. Uh, and there is like there are like like two lines from that that kind of came to my mind, and I was just like uh, keeping those. And I I wrote the scene, and then I was like, okay, but I can just like leave that be it's it's just one page it's exactly one page uh in docs and i'm like what am i supposed to do with that i i need the background so i wrote the background and then another scene came to me with him having a nightmare uh, and then i was like okay so maybe i just write something in between and then i started writing just something in between and adding on to that and adding mm-hmm. stuff before and afterwards and i have 150 pages of the fig that is still unfinished and it's a freaking monster fig and i have <laughs> no idea how to it and it all stems from this one single line that's in there um and i can read it out to you if you want to oh yes definitely Please. Okay, so, so the passage is, uh, like the line is the last line of this, but the passage is uh, three sentences. It was like, there was no finesse in what he did, just some primal instinct pushing him forward, rocking his hips and tightening his chest. He let it wash over him, let the pleasure trickle down in a hot cascade, like the blood dripping from his sword until he was panting with it. He starts fuzzy. It was only when he spilled wet inside his breeches that the term bloodlust came to him, swirling at the edges of his consciousness like a dust devil dancing just out of reach. That's that. That's that. That's uh, just... And I was like, oh my love God, it. I need to write more to that. And like, yeah, yeah. So now, now we're, we're having a monster thick out of this. It's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, I'm looking forward to, uh, to more from pivot because I've been, I've been following it since, uh, you started publishing it. So what is your process like? I mean, you just talked about having, um, birthed a story from one scene that is kind of taken out of context. So what is your normal process? Like, uh, do you write listening to specific music? Um, or a playlist that is uh, specific to characters from the show? Uh, What is your process like? Uh, Not really. Like, I usually, usually, I write to some kind of background noise. Like, I have my TV turned on very low, and it's just, like, the noise in there, so I don't see it sit in complete silence. Uh, Sometimes it's music, but usually when it comes to music, uh, I have one song on the loop and it happens like once every fic maybe and it's like not for the whole thing uh, and with actually with pivot it was the song uh kashmir by let's mm. oh nice yeah. so that song didn't want to let me be like it was constantly in my brain and i finally put it on and i started writing and I know like the, the title comes in from uh like the the um, region between India and China and Pakistan uh, so that's the title, but also Kashmir is like an, a, the name for a fabric. So mm-hmm. I have synesthesia, which is crazy when you're writing something, because I was listening to that song and my synesthesia brain just kind of went like, oh, yeah, so now I will give you the feeling of moving through Kashmir, but as in the fabric. So, you know, like this more slow encompassing feeling, like, you know, like you're suffocating and trying to take another step and something's pulling you back. And this is like in the in the um, in the chapter that Flint is basically like you know like always covered in blood and always fighting something, always killing someone. It's like you know like completely falling apart. 
So that's that happens, but not always. Usually, it's just like a noise in the background. I have a I have a uh, an idea comes to me, and it's usually inspired by something completely stupid, and my brain just goes and uh, you know like a happy you know walk down the trail into the forest, and, and I'm just like, yeah, okay, gone now. Bye. I need to write this down. So yeah, usually, usually just like whatever comes in, and not a specific one specific thing, but. If I use a song, you're going to see it in like the name of the chapter, mm-hmm. for example. There is usually a line from the song. Uh, like sometimes people who read uh, the figs, they, they sometimes comment like, oh, is that from this or that song? And I'm like, yep, got it. <laughs> Good job. That was exactly that song. Yeah. So, yeah, it's like it's, it's, it depends on the fig, on the, on the context, on, on the mood, on the day, on the pace of the moon, I guess, on the tides. You know, <laughs> crazy, crazy stuff. I know. Um... I, there was one story, I wrote a ghost story when I was in college um, in a creative writing class that I wrote it. So the song that I featured um, at the beginning of Vulgar Holy Thing, it's called, it's by Lorena McKinnett and it's called um, Dante's Prayer. It's, it's and I was obsessed with this song and I played it on a loop over and over again while I was writing the story what ended up happening and i'm i'm devastated because i don't know what happened to the story it's gone um it's been it's oh, been no it, it, yeah uh, i mean this was this was like 20 years ago um at least when i was still in school but when i read the story back after listening to that on a loop as i wrote it if you listen to the song and you start reading the story out loud uh, the minute the song starts, the story is, if you read it at a moderate pace, it's the exact length of the song. Oh, and wow. the the body of the story, you you hit the same kind of rises and falls and, and swells in the story as in the song. I've never experienced anything like this to the point where when we were all sharing our stories in class, I was like, I'm very, very sorry. This is a very strange request. Can I please this? I was like, because you have to, you have to hear it. You have to experience it because it's weirding me out as well. Um, but yeah, so I lost that story. I'm so sad about it. Yeah, but I was about to ask you to share it because it is I know so I awesome. wish I could. I wish I could, but it is gone. This, this sounds so awesome. Like, I love those little quirks <laughs> that writers put in. Like, uh, one time I wrote a story. It's gone too now, sadly. It was, it, it used to sit uh, on DeviantArt, but, like, I, I kind of pulled out half of my works after a time. Uh, and I had that story that every single line started with a very specific letter. And it was like an acrostic, I believe that's, mm-hmm. that's what So when you read them, like, the first letters of every line, uh, vertically, they created as a, another sentence, and it was like I was like I was so proud of it. I was so oh, that's awesome. Like, yeah, now it's gone. So we have no. <laughs> Damn it! All those gone stories. Like I, I want them. I want them. You're extremely well spoken, and um, your English is fantastic. Um, I managed to live in Japan for five years and have a horrible grasp of Japanese. So, what is your background in English, and um, and how did you learn the language, and how how do you write so beautifully 
in English as a second language? Well, I do have a master's degree in English philology, so... Oh, okay. So, oh, obviously, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> yeah, that helps. That, that's a good help. But, you know, I'm sure my professor would be cringing and, you know, like, going after me with a cross if he knew what I was using it for right now. <laughs> oh, please. We're yeah. all very grateful. Yeah, like, he, like, no, no. He was a chill dude, but, like, he was from the previous generation. I mean, he still is, I hope. He was pretty old. Uh, the last time I saw him, I was like, uh, I hope he's doing fine. Uh, but, like, I usually, like, when I was still at the uni, uh, because, like, almost nobody speaks English freely here. Uh, like, over here, like, like, if you speak English, you're, you're usually, like, a foreigner or, yeah, mostly foreigner, foreigners speak English here. And uh, it's very hard to combine. So not to, you know, like, fall back on my vocabulary, on my sentences, on my grammar, I kind of set myself a goal that I keep up till now. And ever since uni, I promised myself I will read 50,000 words in English every day. And barring some major family events that I have to go and I can't really sit with my phone on my lap and read through, I usually do that. And, mm. and then I sleep for four hours in the night, but like, we shall not talk about that. So yeah, I, I, I try to read a lot. I read books in English. I read fics in English, mostly fics. Um, so that's, that's probably that. Um, and yeah, I mean, like whatever inspires you, just use it. Uh, kind of, you know, like think about how you can do something like this with your work. Uh, so if I see a sentence that I like, I try to like um, kind of deconstruct it and see what takes, why did I like it so much? And mm, then mm-hmm. try to use something similar, something like this in my own fic, like not to write it, you know, word by word, but like, see, like, why did it hit me so much? Oh, because there was this stop in here and in here and in here. And I was like, okay, so that's actually, that works pretty well. And then I forget completely about it. And then, you know, like half a year later when I'm writing something like, hey, maybe let's put a stop in here and in here. And like, oh yeah, that works. You know, so that's that's more like the creative uh, writing thing. Um, but also I think like, I'm pretty happy with my studies. Um, the thing is I did English philology, but my MA thesis was actually about the morality of criminals. And it was all written in, in English because that's how it works here. And uh, the, the morality of criminals, like kind of what I found out, what the, what the thesis was, was that they have morality they just they just don't abide by the rules of the society so they don't really comply with the ethics but they mm-hmm. have morality and like their values are basically the same as ours just the means are different so that was a very good good thing for you know like pirates and black sales specifically oh, definitely yeah like like we all know that that flint is doing things out of love and grief and silver is doing things like out of greed in the beginning then out mm-hmm. of some, you know, like uh like misguided uh like sense of of uh, belonging to to the group that he found himself in and like the pirates of nassau the people in there like they were not always like murderers and criminals they were just outcasts so yeah. people who were pushed away because they didn't fit in the ethical uh, kind of scheme of the society. 
So that that's kind of that kind of opened my eyes from episode one. I was like, yeah, okay, yeah, that's that's what we're doing here. Okay, I'm fine with that. I know what it's about. So I I think maybe this is why I I like to write the way I do. Always kind of trying to see the the part where they are not the bad guys because they are not. They're just like no mistreated by by yeah. the by society and uh, you know the powers that be. Mm-hmm. Like. Oh, yeah. So yeah, my studies came came in useful somehow. Yay. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And you talk about throwing like a, a like a full stop in in between. And one of the things I I do love about great writing is the musicality of it. Not just getting words on a page to get information across, but to create an atmosphere, to create a feeling based on the structure of the story is what separates um, good literature from great literature. And that's one of the things that I have loved in your work is there is that musicality. It lends itself to being read out loud. Going through this podcast process, that's one of the things I've had to look for um, when I'm wanting to feature a story is what it will sound like uh, when read aloud. And there are just those kind of like shining examples that just sing when you read them aloud. And um, that's a- another reason why I re-listen to my own podcast, because I, I all of the stories that I've featured, one, they mean a lot to me, um, which is which is why I've invited you onto the podcast and everybody that we've, we've featured already. But just letting those stories wash over you. They're beautiful and I love it. So what are your favorite tropes to uh, write about? Uh, well, heart comfort, obviously. Uh, like a tough heart, powerful man, like being vulnerable with with uh, another one because he has you know, either fallen in love and he can help himself anymore uh, or he's hurt and he needs some help and he begrudgingly accepts it and then he's you know, he falls in love or like, you know, like, whoops, emotions happened. Uh, so I love one because it's kind of sneaks up on you sometimes. And I love to write humor, like, like contrary to what half of my writing is, the other half is, is humor. And I, and I love to write it. It's just like, like maybe not outright crack because I, I really don't like beating uh, logic into submission with a baseball bat. I, I hate that. Like, like if you're writing something, like please have a logical explanation for it. You know, uh, this is this is why probably I'm not very into our flag means death. <laughs> same, so same. Got beaten there. A bit uh, squealing. Yeah. <laughs> But, I don't but, want to anger any crossover listeners. Yeah, yeah, um, no, no, like you, you, you do you, you do you. I, I'm, you know, I'm glad you're you're finding joy in that show, and I'm not. Absolutely. I will not begrudge it. It's just not the way. It's just. It's just not. It doesn't sing to me. Yeah, exactly, uh, exactly. Yeah. So like, like uh, you can have your humorous picks. Um, but like, like, please, for the love of God, like make them logical. Like it's completely <laughs> fine if you have Flint, like, you know, smears head to toe with molasses and being very angry about it and silver having to you know, like help him out. It's fine. Like, you know, like, Oh, like, I know that one. I love yeah, that. I love this. I love this. Pick. <laughs> I love it so much. But like, you know, like, like people kind of forget sometimes how to have fun 
and I love to have fun and I love to make people smile and I love to make people laugh. And, and it's like, you know, like half of what I do in life is just making people laugh. And this is why, why you know, dress up and do cosplay and do all the, you know, stupid stuff just to have, to have people smile seeing me mm-hmm. or seeing me do those things. So like when I write, you know, humorous pics and like people come in and tell me in comments, like, Hey, that, that made me feel better today. Thank you. Like I'm, I'm like all hard eyes. Like, thank you. Like really, this is why I do this. Do, do this. So like, yeah, like writing hurt comfort and, and humor. That's yeah. Yeah. Stuff. And, and porn. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I can certainly understand and, and, um, the, the cosplay aspect as well. Um, because I did Marilyn for so many years and, um, there was just something when I would, um, you know, go to a, like a 70, I did a lot of 70th and 80th birthday parties (laughs) and just the, to see a little, you know, the face of a, a little old man kind of um, rediscovering his youth and, um, just connecting with, with the younger version of himself. It's just, there's nothing like it. There really is not. There's also the, yeah, there's the ugly side of it, but that's, those are the moments that, you know, made it worthwhile was giving someone that, that joy and, and rediscovering that younger version of themselves. Absolutely. And like, you, you can see their faces just light up. And they're like smiling and so happy. And it's like this, like this gives you such a kick. Like I do, I, I cosplay Jack Sparrow, which is like apparent from my Twitter. And like when I walk down the street in full costume and I do the Jack Sparrow walk, like the drunken pirate walk. Mm-hmm. And like, I see people just like, you know, in cars and they're like, oh, wow. And, and they start <laughs> smiling and screaming at me and waving to me. And it's like, it's such a good feeling to make people feel good. You know, like I wish mm-hmm. Doing that just for kicks, like this is so cool. Uh, yeah, like like people go dress up <laughs> to see people who are so willing to suspend their disbelief for a moment and to just live in that fantasy with you for a second. It's wonderful. It really is, and it, it's very fulfilling. Yeah, just have fun. Have fun, people. Yeah, yeah. So you like writing hurt comfort, and you love humor. Um, is there anything that you, any tropes that you like to read that is maybe not in your wheelhouse in terms of writing? I'm not easily triggered, so I will read mostly anything. And mm. I love, like, uh, when there is, like, I, I say mostly anything, like, pregnancy and childbirth is a big no-no for me. Like, I'm, I don't go in there. If the fic has anything to do with that, I'm out. I'm, I'm just, like, flat out, nope, that's a phobia. We're not going there. But uh, other than that, nothing phases me, uh, not in writing, not in watching uh, on, on TV screen. So no, like when there is like a, a lot of trauma or like, uh, a lot of, you know, like, uh, like, like there is torture or rape as a plot device. And if it's treated fairly, uh, I definitely go in. I read that just for the hurt comfort that is, you know, after that. So, you know, like this, I don't often go into those themes with writing, but I do like to read that. Of course, mm-hmm. if it's done fairly, I, I need to like underline it like five times here. Um, yeah. Yeah. And other than that, I rarely read um, something that's, that's marked as T, like T rating. I don't really read that. Uh, like other fandoms conditioned me to kind of think that, 
um i like like they often go unresolved like there mm. is romance and it like it may happen it may not happen we can just keep on dancing around it forever and never do anything about it and with a mature or explicit rating like they have to get together somehow to facilitate that rating so yeah if they get together we get the resolution so you know like it's it's easier to say what i don't read than than uh what i actually read because i read everything like i i i if you put in a fig that has like an M or E rating in there, I'm on it. You can you can be sure I'm on it. So like yeah, I I tend to you know because with those with those higher ratings, it tends to be a bit more complex in terms of the emotionality of it as well. But I do still I do still read pretty much all of them. I wouldn't have found a vulgar holy thing. Because that I I believe that one has a T rating. That's true. But That's yeah, true. so I there are I do gravitate to the more mature ones again because of um, the depth of those stories tends to be um, a lot more guaranteed. Yeah, um, but yeah, I I love them across the board. Um, what are you writing right now? Like what what stories are you writing right now? Oh dear, uh, fix, fix, fix. There is pivot. There are other things to write about. Um, I do have a book started uh, like with my own OCs. And it's Ooh. Gabriel and Danny. Yeah, and like I have those two characters in my head and I like to put them in my head still into different situations and into different times sometimes and see mm-hmm. how, how they would fare like you know, as, uh, as pirates as people on a spaceship, as, you know, like, two guys, like, fighting the, I don't know, like, robot apocalypse sort of thing. So, yeah, like, medieval times, what have you. Uh, And I'm writing something to that effect with the, uh, like, medieval times about them. But that's, like, Mm -hmm. neither here nor there. I have the story planned, but the writing is, like, it's slow. I have to figure out a lot of things. It's not the same as writing fan fiction, sadly. Mm-hmm. You need to give a lot more details. Uh, like like we've been talking about, uh, like, like sometimes the books don't have uh, the, the details that you need. And I refuse not to give those details. So it's, it takes a lot of dancing around to actually like put them in. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, that's, that, that takes a while. Other than that, yeah, fix, mostly fix. Uh, and I draw, I, I paint too in the meantime. So that takes up a lot of time, uh, especially recently. Mm. I'm on holidays, so I have to like kind of fill in the time with, with different stuff. Uh, so like watercolors and like graphic design a bit. Uh, and I bought myself a hurdy-gurdy, which is also <laughs> going slowly. And my name That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So like yeah but like you know like as 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 when it comes to writing like mostly fix i have uh, an idea for another fic i have n- i have no clue if it's going to happen it's just an idea right now and it was inspired by the uh the tv series i don't know if you've seen it it's titled mm, 1899 it's by the same producers as dark and yeah. it was canceled before it could you know like fully take flight and we have eight episodes, like the, the whole of the first season. And I just love this idea. Uh, spoiler alerts, if you haven't watched it, tune out. Uh, I love the idea of the simulations uh, not going well 
and I was thinking about writing something uh, to the extent of Flint, because I always wanted to write like pirates in space kind of thick. And uh-huh. I never had a good enough um, idea, a good enough option. And I always wanted to tie it back to Black Sails somehow to that era. And that didn't really compute because like, you know, you can't have a, uh, an uh, 18th century thick connected together with uh, something that's, you know, like far away in the future. But I can make them go to a different planet, a different, you know, like solar system far away from the Earth, and they need to be in this sort of, you know, like an, um, uh, uh, like the stasis for the time mm-hmm. of the flight. So they can be dreaming about things, and this can be a simulation, and it can go wrong, and then silver can go in because, like, we know this part of black sails where silver was considered missing uh after after uh the war was got you know like uh, turned mm-hmm. and that can be a moment where the actual silver on the on the ship wakes up and then he goes back for flint uh to wake him up from inside the program and then and then i can have my pirates in space but it's just like you know that's an idea for now i have no idea oh that would be fantastic yeah if it ever goes yeah. on into anything bigger we'll see mm-hmm. And when that's depending on my time. So yeah, because it's yeah. Like very I time. love I love things that combine um and, and crossover genres like um Firefly is like a space western and um and very much still maintains the um the feel and the aesthetic of both of those genres at the same time, which doesn't seem like it would be possible, but it was. It is, yeah. It's it's uh, it's possible. Like everything is possible. You you just mm-hmm. have to like, like think up a way to do it. But absolutely everything is possible, uh, and you can do anything you want. Uh, like with the, I don't know if you if you've seen anything on Star Wars Clone Wars. I've just seen the films. Um, I haven't done any of the the offshoots or anything uh, like that. The reason the reason I'm I'm asking is because there is like this uh, pirate character uh hondo and mm. i absolutely love him and he's like he's like this pirate in space he's like the classical tropey pirate and you get this feel with him this feel of of every single like book pirate character and he's so i love him and he's so good and like he he's the like, like he's the uh the example of how to do things right with those characters even though you're talking about you know a different galaxy and that's uh in that in that case so yeah everything's possible so what are you reading are you reading anything specific or um i know a lot of the best writers are always constantly reading so so what are you reading i have a stack of books (laughs) (laughs) on my my table right now uh i'm reading i'm reading the sunder city uh series uh, with Fetch Phillips by Luke mm. Arnold, uh, that I'm sure a lot of people know. Uh, it's amazing, and I love it, and I love Fetch, and like, oh my goodness, like my heart goes out for him. Like Jesus, like somebody give him a blanket. Like seriously, oh my like, gosh, yeah, like, our hug. Like oh, he needs that, and a pack of Clayfields. Jesus, I love him so much. Um, uh, apart from that, I actually bought myself a book that's called uh, in translations like yacht sailing and it's 400 pages about how to sail uh, a sailboat basically 
and what to do to get a license for them, what do you need to know, how to operate in a storm, what are the sails, how do you use them, what are the different lines, cables, and all that. And I, I may be a bit crazy about that, but I needed this and I need to, you know, like brush up on my knowledge to write fix. So I bought myself a freaking like sailing manual. So I'm reading that. And uh, uh, I'm reading letters of Lord Horatio Nelson. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, the, they've been published and they are like all either by him or to him. And like, like Nelson, I love this guy. I love him. He's like this, you know, this this uh, figure, this statue patriot for everyone out there to see. And like he was so bisexual, Jesus Christ! Like what he's writing about and the way he's like he's expressing himself. He was very literate. He was very good at this. Uh, those are essentially all love letters, and they are not only to his mistress, but also to to her husband. And I absolutely yeah love to the Hamiltons. Yes, to the <laughs> the, it's amazing. There, oh. that cannot be a coincidence. No, it cannot. No, no, it's There's not. No I way. don't believe in coincidences, and this <laughs> is not a coincidence. I was smashed, and like when you read this, it's like he's so he was so in love with them and he was so desperate for them. Like there is like a literal passage where he's like, because those are all printed out as letters, as actual letters. So mm-hmm. you can see the date, you can see the, the, the title, the topic, the, the address and all that. Uh, I mean, the, the address to the person, not their address, like home address. And like you read that and you realize like in the footnote because he sometimes used the postscriptum format and he added his his footnotes too and it was beautiful because like at one point he's and it's pretty early on he's like yeah so I'm writing this before the the uh, cabin boy even uh, came back with the post so I don't know if you have like answered my letter and so I'm, I'm just writing another one because I can't wait for you know, to write to you. Like he's so he was so in love. Like I love his letters. They're they're great. They're wonderful, and a big inspiration. And yeah, he was totally in love with both of the Hamiltons. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. There, yeah. I do hope that because someone was was talking about the um, on Twitter the new Napoleon film. It would be amazing if they did a film. Uh, about Nelson and the Hamiltons. Oh my God! Yes, please. Uh, I, like we need this. There is like one movie. I mean, I'm not counting all the uh, naval strategy documentaries that we have because they are they are there. But like, I want a movie about him and not in the you know with the concept of him being the great naval strategist and winning you know battles and getting killed at Trafalgar, but like. Like, holy hell, just give me Nelson the person, okay? Please. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I'm rhyming. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Because he's mentioned so much in Master and Commander as well. Yes. Um, he just, he he's a figure that looms large um, throughout a lot of naval history. And, but he there hasn't been anything that has directly addressed him as a person instead of like this figurehead and this idea. Exactly, like he's the figurehead, but uh, I've been thinking about something else because we have Nelson, the great naval strategist who is desperately in love with the Hamiltons. 
And we know that was the, like the three of them involved. Let's not kid ourselves. They were mm-hmm. all. And I was thinking how well it fits with Black Sails, actually. Because if you turn this around, then Nelson in that setting, that's James Flynn. That's James that's Flynn. Yep. And like he was a great strategist. And we know that from the show. Because mm-hmm. that's even the scene when they are discussing that Flint is not there. So how on earth are we going to do this and that without Flint and his expertise? So we know that he's a great strategist. So I kind mm-hmm. of like the comparison of him to Nelson done by the show itself. I love yeah. this. It's amazing. Yeah. Very, very deliberate. So this is my, this is the cruel question that I ask everyone. So oh, yeah. Are you ready? <laughs> what are your top five favorite fics? Are we talking my favorite fix by like written by me or favorite fix uh, written by other people? Please, by other people. Please, by other people. By other people. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Uh, like not not my children. They're just children of, of others. <laughs> not your babies. Everybody else's. <laughs> okay. Um, I love Pitch Black, Pale Blue uh, by now. <gasps> yes. I adore this fic. It's, it's like I love how it's swinging. Uh, it's like this kind of like this crazy swinging inside Flint's head mm-hmm. between you know like Miranda's death and John's romance, and they're clashing together. And then we have the warriors being the like the home for the like like a, I think there is like this kind of like sentence like deranged animal that Flint is because he compares himself to that. And then Warriors not being home at all and being like almost alien and, and you know, not a, a good environment. Mm-hmm. Like it's so beautiful. It's so poetic. I love it with all my heart. Like I, I often go in and I reread that and I get, you know, like new inspiration from it. Like every time I love it. Um, I love Trust Caution by Squidnapped. And this is a bit different because it's not Silver Flint. It's Flint and Gates, and it's a fic. It's uh, it's explicit. It's a fic about like Gates being like uh, almost like a service stop to Flint. Mm-hmm. And there is I, I I have it titled like in my in my bookmarks. I believe I have it titled like the Whalebone fic, uh, because <laughs> there's a, there is a very nicely carved whale bone screenshot um a dildo basically which uh flint asks gates to use on him and Mm -hmm. uh, despite that being a very porny uh one shot i love the dynamic that flint and gates have in this and the trust that they have in each other and especially trust uh of flint in gates and that he opens himself up uh, to something like this because he knows he needs it and he knows that that Hall can provide mm-hmm. uh, and I just love Gates so like I know like my heart to Gates love him and and everything with him is just like yeah amazing. and yeah so like that and also this this fic has this kind of like one um like one thing spoiler alert um there is this scene in it when they have to break apart and gates walks to the door uh i believe to like tell billy to go away because he came in asking what's wrong with the captain like if he's sick or something and gates basically like shoes him away 
and Flint walks behind him in the time that he's standing by the door. And when Gates closes the door, Flint kind of wraps his arm around his throat. And he's like, you know, like, like why, why would you leave me now or something like this? And Gates has this kind of like a, I, I won't say a flashback, it's flash forward. Uh, like what would happen if Flint actually showed him? Oh. And this is like this beautiful, like this, this one bit of the of the uh this kind of like foreshadowing like in because we've seen the show and we are like oh my god like okay that the shit got real right here right now and i yeah. absolutely love that uh this is one of my favorite fics ever uh not just in black sales fandom like ever i i often come back to it and i like recommend it to everyone <laughs> <laughs> reading fics. so yeah that's that Show me the way to go home. Uh, <gasps> yes! I, yeah, okay. Yeah. I uh, love that so much. Love it. Love this one. Like comparing scars and like the drunken banter. Mm. Like, I love this. I, I love this. Like this is the trope that's done in so many movies. So good. And like, so this, good. Yes, it's done so well. I love it. I, it's I, one. Okay. Valen Thug is, is just an icon in this fandom for one yes. yes and just and taking the and the title of the the fic pulled me in Im- immediately because i love jaws and um just that whole just using that line evokes this feeling of because that scene where they're they're on the ship and they're getting drunker and drunker or on the on the boat and they're getting drunker and drunker um yep. and and singing this shanty and it just just having that line as the title of the fic evokes that feeling and you're already immersed in this this bubble with them um and then the way that they describe the wolf inside of silver coming yes. up yes so it's good amazing. oh my god and it's so Love entertaining it. it's not only like deep and emotional because it is and kind of you know like it it grabs you and pulls you you know inside out but mm-hmm. But like it's also so entertaining. It's humorous. I love this. Yeah, I, I love it. And it's like you know, like give those two a, a bottle of rum already. You know, like we we would have had a completely different show if somebody gave them <laughs> rum. You know, and I, I, love it. I love it. And like this is so tropey, but it's in a good way. Like you it's don't so good. It it's and it's amazing. A state of undress uh, by, my, by my cape is plaid. Uh, and this is like, this is the one uh, where I was talking about Flint covered yes. like head to toe. Uh, it's, it's unfinished, I believe. It's like four out of I, uh, yeah, like that. I love every single second of this fic. I love it. Like this is like the, the, the many mishaps that befell the, the mm-hmm. Captain Flint and Silver is rescuing him and like always undressing him. And like, I know that those tropes can be a bit on the nose, but in here they don't like very well. And it's very entertaining. It's humorous. Uh, and like, they kind of get together because of that. And of course it's, it's like nice and very good and very erotic, but mostly it's just like good, well-written story about how the two of them kind of get together. Mm-hmm. And what kind of idiocies had to happen along the way for them to actually like be together and 
I love this little moment in there. It was it was so heartbreaking for me. And I, I know it sounds crazy when I'm talking about the humorous fic and I'm saying it was heartbreaking. <laughs> uh, but in one in one moment, uh, there is this there is this part where Flint is like he gets like uh, sand lice or something. Yeah, sand fleas, I think. Sand fleas, yeah. Yeah, something, something like that. that. Yeah, and like Silver is there to like help him get rid of them, of course, from the places where he can reach. And we all know where it's going to go, you know, like, you know, is that the banana peel that that Flint is inevitably going to slip on and land on Silver. We know that. But there is so much vulnerability uh, with Flint in that moment when he's like, just please help me. Mm-hmm. And I love that. I, I love that. This is like when it got me right in the heart. I, I yeah. absolutely adore that. Like he's so open and he's miserable and he's just like you know like pit of misery like this you know like this kitty you pulled out from a from a sewer and it's like you know like like all like all the miserable state and you just want to help him and yeah this is what happens so yeah i i love that yeah uh, and, and and the moment where where he's like trying to like what is a freckle and what is a flea like that oh. I yes, love it. Yes, it was it was it was so devastating to me because it was humorous and absolutely like gutting you at the same time. Mm-hmm. Amazing writing. I love it so much. I wish it was finished, but it despite I know, that, I know. Despite that, it's amazing. Uh, I love every minute when I'm when I'm reading it and I'm reading it uh a lot yeah. of times. There's uh, a certain kind of the heartache in falling in love with an unfinished fic, and I I cannot, like, there's some people who will not read fics that are unfinished. I cannot help myself. And like, it's just, you just hold out hope that one of these days it'll, it'll, uh, it'll be finished, but I, I still love it. Well, hey, the payoff for the waiting is always sweeter when you just come into AO3 and you see that one fic, you know, like getting another chapter. <laughs> You're like, just like, you know, like, <gasps> yeah, like, like oh wait, wait a second, I need my emergency rum, you know? And, you know like, you put yourself a glass and you're like, yeah, now I can read that, you know? It's celebratory then. Uh, and I, I couldn't finish this list without mentioning uh, the Cupcake AU. Uh, yes. You know, Brinanza and and Jay, like amazing. I love, I love, 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 love this AU, the cupcake AU, the sweetest devotion. Like I mm-hmm. love it from start to finish. I love how grumpy and flinty James was. I love how silver was silver and the parrot was the parrot, and they were all like this magnificent trio, just like clashing together at all times. And like trying desperately not to fall in love, even though they were falling in love all the way along. Yes. It's amazing. I love it. It's like one of my favorites when I go back to to like reread stuff because I do that too very often. And it's like it's it's always bound to 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 cheer me up. It's it's amazing. I love them. I love them. Amazing. Uh, yeah, same, same. And and I also love any fic that that treats James and Anne as siblings um, because it, it's such it's was such a loss that we didn't get any real interaction between Flint and Anne Bonnie in the show. There just was yes. not any, but but they are so similar in terms of just the 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 spirit and the and the idea of the character and. and 
So, yeah. So being able to see fic writers um, explore those dynamics is great. And it's fantastic in Cupcake AU. Yes, they, they correct. We correct the horrible mistakes. <laughs> like there are few, there are very few mistakes in the show, but like this is one of them. Like I would have loved to see like them sailing on one ship, even once, like even yeah. once. Like just give them like one trip to one of the colonies and back, and I would be happy. Because like a day would be totally like after the, the first hour of like you know, like eyeing each other, they mm-hmm. would standing on the quarter deck and and you know, like I, I i would bet my ass they would be like you know gossiping about the rest of the crew and like you know like, <laughs> like exchanging meaningful looks of annoyance yeah. you know and, and <laughs> body would be just like you know like sharpening a knife and and flint would be like yeah it needs to be sharper and like, like you missed a spot you know like they would be amazing together and i love their dynamic and fix and especially in this one like when she's treating him like he's like like her baby brother basically even though he's not uh, mm-hmm. the, the baby brother and we we all know that he's capable like he's capable of, of taking care of himself very well uh and he's proving that like she's still very protective over him uh but she's like very grumpy about it she's very like you know like like she's amazing she's amazing and like no like bonnie and her knives yep mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> yeah that's the match made in heaven to go with that <laughs> <laughs> okay so that was five right I think that was yes, that, that was, was five. No, the the, yes. list, the whole list is in my bookmarks. If anyone, wants I know, to know, I know, I, I keep know. them all there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, are there any avenues that you haven't explored yet in your fic writing, um, in terms of character dynamic or anything like that, that you are hoping to address in the future? Character dynamic, I would like to kind of merge because I have a feeling I've been writing like. Uh, very one-sided things like very focused maybe not on one character but like maybe maybe focused on one line of thinking and they're like Mm -hmm. from point a to point b to point c to point b and like sometimes when i write like two characters from like an interchanging uh, point of view i tend to go like this character's like like he goes like this and the other one goes his way and they kind of meet in the meantime Mm -hmm like to kind of start merging that together like kind of maybe insert more like like a like a I know it's going to sound weird but like do a cross contamination between two characters because sometimes there are like ways to achieve that when you're uh when you're kind of like you're writing from one character's POV and you kind of make them see what's happening with the other character and kind of maybe not read their minds but read their expressions read their uh like know them enough to know what they're thinking about or what they may be like trying to do uh or why they're acting like this or that and kind of like do those inserts like merge them together um Mm -hmm. like more fluidly so i would love to work on that and like i want more nautical lingo in my writing this is why the yacht book the, the the yacht sailing book i want because i i have one of the fix uh, bookmarked that I believe it's I, I believe I bookmarked it as nautical porn um, <laughs> there is like yes there is like a lot of uh, nautical slang and 
a lot of strategy and like how to sail ships. I'm a huge nerd and I love those inserts, like how to read maps, how to know where to go, which wind is going to carry you on, which is not going to do that. You know, the southwesterlies and all that. And like, I have a, uh, I have a full map of the Caribbean uh, Sea uh, and it's like, it's like two meters long, it's big. And I, I sometimes I sit down and I think like I plan a route where Flint would go. So uh, like like to do this or that or like consult maps like, oh, no, we've just we're just past no Hispaniola and now we're going to where and then I you know, go into that. So, <laughs> yeah, so I love I love that. And I want to add more of this. But first, I need to read that textbook to learn something more about sailing and to like no like not to sound like complete buffoon when i'm writing about this so because there are people who don't know a thing about sailing but there are people who do and like my my you know i i hope if they see me doing so like making some gross mistakes they will come in and correct me but like i tried not to do that so mm-hmm. i i want to get more knowledgeable on that and add it in so that it's like seamless uh, because you know, Silver may not have known anything about sailing, but Flynn did. And yeah. since ultimately, like Flint girl, I need to know something too to actually write about it uh, and about him. So I'm I'm trying to get that done uh, and add more of that into the writing. So like you know, technical stuff, yay, yay. <laughs> <laughs> So if you had one piece of advice to give uh, fan fiction writers that are looking to break into Black Sails um, successfully, whether they have not written a word of fan fiction or have written for other fandoms, what is the best way to get into this particular universe? I've seen uh, some people and some of my colleagues, some of my friends uh, kind of being like, Oh, I I don't know if anyone's going to read that. Why would I write it? I don't know if if it's a good story. And I just want to say, like this, a story is true. A story is untrue. It's your story. So if you want to tell it, just go for it. And it's your story. You're telling it. We're going to like it. We're going to read it. And we're going to be happy that we got it, uh, because we love stories. Like in this Mm -hmm. country. I'm I'm pretty sure everyone loves stories. Uh, this is what makes us flock to this fandom. We love stories. We yes. love to tell stories, but we also love to write stories, and we love to you know like perpetuate those stories and extrapolate from them, and like get get on with them, and we carry them forward. So if you want to write, just write and write it down and and post it, and we're going to love it because like this fandom is all about stories. There was this this post going on around on Tumblr, and it was basically asking people to say what is their approach to stories, and it was a poll. And one of the answers was something about uh, like, "What are you talking about? I am all made of stories. We are all stories." Mm. I think that this kind of resonates with this fandom a lot because, like we've said, uh, some stories look like this some stories don't some stories if you start uh changing them and you are telling them they can be like an amazing different story so there is never enough of them just write them go for it if you have a feeling that that 
you are going to like what you what you wrote just share it it's it's going to be awesome because we are going to love it like i i assure you we're going to absolutely love it i agree and in terms of um you know feeling like you're entering this fear with something that no one can relate to it is absolutely astonishing how universal you know much of our of everyone's life experience is we may not be experiencing the same challenges we may not have the same um, joys and victories but our experience of those things that we are going through you know there is a universality to it that means that whatever you're sending out someone is there receiving it who can relate to it and if you are adding to the body of work that's out there, you are creating more experiences, more joy, more, just more, I don't know, just you're, you're creating more experiential um, growth for, for everyone that is, that is consuming. And if you don't, if you don't put that work out there, the entire fam fandom is the lesser for it. Uh, yes, exactly. Yeah. We're missing out on it then. And like, and like, like my, my, one of my friends, my online friends, uh, we were talking one time and she was very concerned because she, it wasn't for, it wasn't for black sales. It was back in the, the Walking Dead uh, era. And uh, she was concerned because she had uh, like this, this idea for a story and somebody else posted a very similar idea. And she was like, ah, I don't know if I should post it or not. Like they, they done it better. And I'm I'm I was astonished because like it doesn't matter if it's the you know like the, the millionth take on how Flynn helped Silver after the amputation or if it's you know like the fifth rendering of the office AU or a bakery AU or you no know, you can go with whatever like like we we will all love it anyway like mm -hmm. because it's adding like you said it's adding to the fandom it's adding to this beautiful body of work that we already have here. And and it's it's just expanding it like more stories. We love them. Like like you can't go wrong with that. You absolutely can't go wrong with that. If you have an idea and you want to write it, write it down. Like it's it's going to be awesome. I promise. It's it's going to be great. Exactly. It's the same thing as you you um, go into a you know an art class and you have a a model or you're all drawing the same object in the middle of the room, everyone's piece of art is going to be different. Even though they're coming at the same object, they're looking at the same thing. Everybody's art is coming through the prism of their experience and just how they see the world. Everybody sees the world in a different way. And all of those pieces, everything that comes out of that is equally valid and deserves to exist. And exactly. um, exactly. you're yeah. showing us a piece of yourself, and this is this is so valuable. It's it's amazing, and that, that we can do it so easily uh, in the 21st century. Because like you know, when the fandom was starting, the the fandom things when they were starting, and I don't even mean, uh, I don't even mean like the Star Trek. I I still don't know how to pronounce it. zines zines. I have no idea how, how it's pronounced. I never got to that. Uh, all of those fan magazines that were that were being printed out for Star Trek. And this is where the fan fiction writing started for uh, like you no know, at, at a huge scale with them. Mm -hmm. and the scale wasn't that big when you compare it to AO3 right now or fan fiction net or whatever have you, but it was big. Uh, yeah. actually the whole fan movement, I believe it started somewhere with Sherlock Holmes. And after Arthur Conan Doyle killed off Sherlock, 
uh, oh, in yes. Christ's fall. Yeah, people started to write him letters to bring him back, and some of them were actually writing their like their takes on how it could have ended. And they were like explaining them, yes, but they were also writing pieces of fiction on how to end this, you know, like correctly, quote unquote. Yeah. So has as many people as you have, all of us are going to have different stories. And no matter if that story has been already done and told, you can tell it in your own way. And this is like so, this is so valuable. It's like it's like a treasure trove, basically. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, go for it. We want to read them. Like I love reading those. Like the, the, the millionth take on how Flint yeah. helped Silver or how Silver helped Flint or how they got together. I love this. Like like it opens up my mind and makes me happy. So like yeah, exactly. More, more, please. Yes. <laughs> more. Yeah, exactly. For even just for my own greed, are you writing something? Are you think you're writing something? Please write it because I want to read it. Yes. Yes. Go for it. Go for it. I'm just going to sit here like this, you know, like this little gargoyle, and just like you know, I go like, ah, new fake. <laughs> <You know. laughs> Gollum, like Gollum. My yes, precious. my precious. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh my goodness. So this has been so much fun. I've absolutely uh, loved getting to chat with you about this. Um, and I am very serious. I, I really, really, really want to bring you back in the future um, that you have such a, a great body of work um, that I really do want to uh, continue on and feature more of your stories. Love it. Love Thank it. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Uh, it, it was fun. I, I was like, you know, I, I was bouncing all the way through here. Uh, so yeah, it was, it was amazing. Uh, it was great being here. And I, I just want to say, like, thank you to everyone who, who is involved in this and to people listening to, uh, to, to this podcast. It's, it's amazing. It's great. And I love all of you and all of my readers. Like, I'm, you can't see it, but I'm sending out little hearts. <laughs> <laughs> like, thank you so much. It's been so much fun. Thank you so much. And um, so we are actually recording this uh in july this this episode will air in october so who knows by the time that comes around we may have some more collaborations uh together scheduled so thank you so much and we will see you next time thank you so much tora for not only agreeing to come on this podcast but also in joining in on the entire process, being so open and honest, sharing your warmth and incredible humor, and for providing the absolutely incredible and deeply intimate cover art for your episode, which is featured online for today's story. When I saw it, I audibly gasped. You are truly a woman of many talents. And thank you to all of our listeners, whether you're returning or joining us for the first time, we appreciate you and we'd love to hear from you. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating and a review. It truly does help us to be discovered by more listeners, which helps to shine a brighter spotlight on these amazing artists and creators. If you're a fanfic author and have a favorite story you'd love to hear and want to join me on the podcast, please reach out to me on Twitter at Kendra Spring or at AudioFicPod, or you can send an email 
to readingbetweenthelinespod at gmail.com. If you're not an author, but you've got a favorite fic you'd like me to read, all suggestions are welcome. Please reach out. Thanks again for listening. This has been Reading Between the Lines, a fanfic audio podcast. And I'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Just a second. I'm going to probably edit right here. I have to share this with you because uh, my friend Teresa sent a, a message just screaming, ah, because um, a new new Toby picture just dropped. Oh! Ah! <laughs> Sorry, oh I had to take goodness. a moment. Oh! Yeah, she just um, posted screaming. Oh, <laughs> oh my goodness. Alright, so, so yeah. So one, for one second, I'm not on social media and he's he, like, the, the, <laughs> ah! Jesus. Oh, he's so cute. Oh. I know. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my goodness.